A James Bond podcast where we talk about James Bond. Except for today, because we are going to talk about a movie that has nothing to do with James Bond, except one of the actors who play James Bond is in this. I think. He shows up sometime, uh, waiting for him to show up. Oh, there he is. Oh, no, he's gone again. Oh, there he is. Oh, no, he's gone again. Oh, he's burning alive. Oh, the end. That's right. We are here to continue our series of movies on James Bond actors in different movies. We've done Zardoz. Let's never talk about that again. And let's move on to the second James Bond actor, everybody's favourite, George Lazenby. And we're about to talk about him in a film, which, of course, is as many films as he did as James Bond, even though he did more films that aren't James Bond, if that makes sense. I don't know what I'm saying. The movie's A Man from Hong Kong. That's not George Lazenby. He's not from Hong Kong. He's from Australia. And this movie is made in Australia and other places. And it's an odd movie. It's from 1975. It's odd. (laughs) It's very odd. My name is Ben, and I work for a newspaper in Sydney doing story on kite flying. And my name is Colin, a master of kung fu. I used my art for an evil purpose, but I fought well. <laughs> and that are the only two quotes in this movie, because the rest <laughs> is fighting. Uh, <laughs> the, the, I feel like we needed to get someone like Jamie and Mallory, but needed to come in and say those quotes for us and like dub it over the top. Like, yeah. <laughs> and my name is Ben, and I work for a newspaper in Sydney doing a story on kite flying. Um, yeah, the man from Hong Kong, Colin. Had had you ever seen this movie before? Had you even heard of this movie before we decided to do this as our Lazenby film? I mean, I'd heard of it. Uh, you know, I I don't think I'd heard much about it. Um, other than when we were narrowing down okay these are the major movies i think that this was on a list we threw out there years ago as was zardoz and pretty much everything else we're covering years ago we're like hey when we run out of stuff let's start covering these movies and man from hong kong might have been one that because we know noah has actually seen this movie who isn't on this episode (laughs) that uh uh, i'm like oh man from hong kong is that a lazy movie and then when we are narrowing down which one of these we'd cover i think we were debating between this and what was the other one uh, the other one was like the first one he did after. Wasn't it? Majesty's it was. Wasn't it the same name as like a um a John Claude Van Damme movie or something? Because it had a it had a similar title to something else. And Universal Soldier. Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, but uh, I think we decided on this one because I kind of read the plot and said that sounds like fun. 
sounds like a good movie. Completely different movie than I thought. Um, I, I really don't know where you're going to land on, but I kind of love this movie. <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's ridiculous. It's, it's exactly my style of movie and didn't even realize it until – probably 10 minutes into the movie, but I actually know the man from Hong Kong in this movie. I've seen him in something else and I'm, I'm very excited about, you know, he's okay in this movie, but I'm very excited to talk about another movie he made. <laughs> Let's cover that one instead, but this is still good. Still good. I will say it's better than Zardoz. Can't be that hard. <laughs> um, the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Look, okay, I'll say I didn't hate it. I did not hate this movie. I just didn't love it. It was odd and realistically there are three lines of dialogue in this movie and the rest is just action, which is not a bad thing. But I have to say, and, like, this is comes down to it's the time period, it's also a movie made from Australia and Hong Kong, it's not a Hollywood film starring George Lazenby. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's lots to this movie which to me reminded me of when I made Kill Phil because I feel like <laughs> the acting... The 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 way it's put together is very amateurish. And again, I'm not trying to be a dick. I realize it was different in 1975, but I don't know. Like this is why I don't watch old movies because I feel like I'm so critical on them. <laughs> like, oh, this is terrible. Whereas I'm sure in 1975 in Australia, th- this was probably huge. Uh, maybe I <laughs> I I wasn't alive in 1975 in Australia. I was minus 12 at the time, but I I don't know. I had heard of this movie. Can I just say similar to what you said? I think. As soon as we discover this, I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I've heard of that. So that must mean something, right? Um, the, the style of this movie I don't think would fall into regular Australian film, nor would it fall <laughs> into regular Hong Kong film because, I mean, this is a co-production. And, uh, again, just through watching the credits, things that I didn't even know beforehand, uh, the um, uh, Chinese production company that co-produces Golden Harvest and Raymond Chow who produced this movie – uh, very big deal. I mean, one of the most important people in the history of Chinese cinema. Uh, he's basically the guy who put Bruce Lee on the map as a movie star, uh, as well as many other things since then. But I guess primarily known as uh, the guy who launched Bruce Lee's movie career. Um, and this movie is a lot of similarities to Enter the Dragon, which was uh, the last movie Bruce Lee completed before he died, which was meant to be the first ever American and Hong Kong co-production. And it's funny because when you look at the end credits of the movie, you realize how much of a co-production it is that every single you would expect for voice actors or, you know, uh, post-production because you're producing two different language versions of this, that you're going to have two members of the cast, but they have like key grips and there is both an Australian name and a Chinese name and everything else. Um, And this was, I guess, two years after Enter the Dragon, which was a huge hit. And maybe because they didn't have another bankable movie star that an American studio would sign on for. They said, let's talk to these Australian people. (laughs) They're willing to take a chance. So they basically made the same different plot, but the same type of movie as Enter the Dragon, which was uh, before an American and Hong Kong co-production. Let's do an Australian Hong Kong co-production and just see if it works. And, you know, there's a lot of similarities, like you said, with dubbing which we're seeing the dubbing of the you know asian actors whereas if you were in hong kong you'd be watching the dubbing of george lazenby and you'd be listening to jimmy wang Yu's actual voice but you know, it, it's an interesting experiment that i think was really only done a couple of times as far as a mix of english language and chinese and i, I feel yeah you're right like i mean 
it's all well and good for me to sit here on my high horse in 2020 and, and talk down on it, but in 1975, I'm sure this was, you know, a big deal the way they put it together, and this is a norm. I mean, I'm sure it's if we've got, you know, lo and behold, if I ever procreate my son or daughter in 35 years, 45 years, talking about movies in 2020, well, there were none because none of them were released, um, you know, they're probably going to look down and go, well, look how crappy those movies were back then and this makes no sense and this and that and everything else. <laughs> so at the time, you know, it was good, I'm sure. But and again, I, do, I don't dislike this movie. I feel like I'm coming across as I hate this movie or that. But it's actually funny that the director, uh, Brian Trenchard-Smith, now I've just looked at his filmography and it's actually making sense now, the style of this movie, because I'm now saying it, this isn't actually a 70s thing. This is a Brian Trenchard-Smith thing. He went on to direct BMX Bandits, which uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Nicole Kidman. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, my parents would often talk about that being one of the worst movies they have ever, ever seen. And also a movie that I feel we've talked about in the past, whether it be on this show or on the Oz Network, download now via iTunes, um, Arctic Blast, the end of the world movie oh, yeah. filmed and set in Hobart. Um, which I've had several dealings with that movie uh, interviewing some of the cast because they uh, they filmed it with a lot of local uh, people in it. Michael Shanks, of course, Canadian, I believe, in that movie mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, yeah, it makes sense that he would direct that movie now that I've seen this movie. I also love, you know, that he did Leprechaun 3 and Leprechaun 4 in space. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> I'm sorry, Leprechaun <laughs> 4 went into space? What is this, Moonraker? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody goes into space. It was, the, it was the 90s thing versus the 70s thing. Yeah. Um, but w- if there's one movie that we have to cover, fit it in anywhere on any of our podcasts, it is Tyrannosaurus Azteca. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I mean. Which literally, <laughs> look at the poster. It is a Tyrannosaurus Rex standing behind a pyramid. So, um <laughs> I'm intrigued. Apparently, he's also been cited as one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite directors. Also what? makes sense. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but how does that work? Um, I, th- this is also the style. You know, I, 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 I mentioned it on probably several podcasts, but I mean, I've, I've watched tons of Hong Kong movies. You know, it makes up like a massive portion of my DVD shelf, you know, movies that most people have probably even heard of. And a lot of the I guess cheesier effects and and fight sounds in this that now would stand out and be like, oh, that's kind of ridiculous. That's part of what made this genre popular, and I think that's one of the things I really like about this movie. It, it's it, the involvement of the the co production, where it, it is authentic to the genre of martial arts films in the seventies. It's very authentic to the genre, even to the points where you kind of laugh at it now. That's part of the appeal of that genre too. I also appreciate with. Um with Mr. Sorry, I'm still entrenched here on Aztec Rex or whatever it is. But um, <laughs> Brian Trenchard Smith went into serious territory when he made a television movie called DC 9-11, Time of Crisis, which reenacts the events of 9-11 as seen from the point of view of the President of the United States and its staff, George W. Bush. Um where George W. Bush hang glides in. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tyrannosaurus Rex tries to bite the planes <laughs> before they land into the Pentagon. Um, yeah, I mean, the it's... The leprechaun, <laughs> the space shuttle. <laughs> and George Lazenby burns to death in the background. <laughs> um, like, yeah, you, you've obviously talked up a bit about your love of 
this style of movie, like Hong Kong sort of Asian cinema. Noah's done a lot of that too. Uh, obviously, again, on the Oz Network when we did Parasite, you co- you two kind of mocked me because I maybe didn't get it as much as you two. And they, sub- they, they didn't subtitle a movie. They dubbed it for you and you're still complaining. <laughs> there was moments in this movie that didn't have subtitles and I didn't know what they were saying. Um <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it's, again, I think as I've explained in the past, I have nothing against cinema from Asia or anything. It's just it's just something I haven't really seen a lot of. I've seen a few bits and pieces here and there and maybe it's something I need to watch more to appreciate. It's just I guess I'm just that guy who watches Hollywood movies. And, you know, I mean, I even rip into Australian cinema sometimes in the few times I watch it because it's not up to standards of Hollywood. Um, BMX bandits. Yeah, oh, God. I mean, let's be honest. The the Australian movies you'd seen prior to this involved a boy band and somebody protecting yeah. a house from an airport, right? Like, <laughs> that's all the Australian cinema you'd seen before. I mean, have you seen the Mad Max movies, Mad I Max. guess? Yeah. You've seen Australia. Babe. You didn't like that? Babe, yes. Oh, what a great movie Babe is. Well, we'll fit it in. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to work out some connection to James Bond. Um, <laughs> I was thinking for James Cromwell would have made a great Blofeld. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say make a James Bond, but let's go with Blofeld. Uh, or Pussy Galore or somebody. Come on, where's the six degrees of James Cromwell here? He's got to be in a movie with some sort of James. We'll find it. We'll do it somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of James Bond actors, just quickly while I remember a couple of things before we get into the recap of this movie, I feel like we need to check in with our man Pierce Brosnan just uh, for the sake of, <laughs> uh, you know, keeping up appearances and all that kind of stuff we've been doing recently. Um, Pierce, uh, I'm Glad that you're joining us again. Uh, I'm guessing you it's another another honour for you to join us here on the show today. I don't want to have to do this ever again. He still doesn't want to ever do this again, Colin. Why? Like, what did we do wrong with him? Um, but <gasps> just, Piers, quickly, though, okay, before, just, well, I want to try this again. If you could think of anything right now, if anything was on your mind and you could say anything you want, what would you say right now? Shirley Bassey. Oh, Shirley Bassey. He's always thinking of her. No, 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 Piers, Piers, it's George Lazenby <laughs> this week. Lazenby. <laughs> Uh, and while we're on the topic of things as well, let's check in with this song. Oh, God, I love doing 007. Hang gliding sky high. <laughs> I like that song. Um, but, yes, if you're joining us now for a recap for the first ever time, Go listen to a Bond one. Don't listen to this one because they're better. But, you know, I, I will say, like, George Lazenby, in all seriousness, here we are talking about this movie. We're not actually talking about the person we're meant to be talking about because that's why we're doing this episode. Um, is he the best actor in this movie? I mean, that's saying something. It's George Lazenby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I mean, I, I kind of like the – now, let's first say you can't judge the performance of Jim, Jimmy Wang Yu who – likely delivered his dialogue in his native tongue and they just dubbed another person over him. Um, if you were watching this in the original Mandarin version or Cantonese version, whatever it is, then I'm sure that you'd be enjoying his performance a lot more. Uh, but I guess the, the, the two Australian buddy cop guys are, are decent too, but obviously Lazenby is the star of this movie. And I really wish that he, we could find some more villains he played because I think that he suited a villain way more than he suited a hero as Bond. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. And it's it's actually interesting because I know we talked a lot about in on Her Majesty's Secret Service that there are definitely elements to Lazenby, which he's a pretty good actor. And this is a guy who was a model and basically had no acting experience. So for him to be able to to pull that off as Bond, 
was pretty good. And this movie is what, you know, he'd done a few after this, after On a Majesty's Secret Service, what, there's about six or seven or eight movies that he had been in between uh, Bond and this movie. So he'd gotten a bit more experience, I guess. I mean, Universal Soldier would have been interesting because that was a movie he did directly following On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it actually surprised me how pretty darn good he was in this movie. So, you know, and that's that's good for him. And he... I was going to say not all of his fight scenes are really up to par, but <laughs> he tries. Well, I, the one thing, though, that and we, I think everyone praises Lazenby for this in on, on a Majesty's Secret Service, and I, I really do see it in this movie as well. I mean, he is a very physical actor. Yeah. Like, he is, you don't want to cross this guy. This guy would kick your ass. I mean, he might be the most, the strongest James Bond, maybe. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I had several thoughts throughout while watching the fight scenes, and and I, I think part of the issues was the the first fight scene when he's introduced, uh, where it's the big group fight scene. You know, everybody there was way more experienced than he was, so there's a couple of moments where he definitely doesn't look the strongest there. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's him doing this. I mean, he clearly trained, and it's it's impressive. I think if you had just not put him in there with the most experienced martial artist you could find on the planet at that point, maybe it would have looked a little bit better. But I definitely give him credit because this is, uh, what, five, six years after Honor Majesty's Secret Service. So, I mean, yeah. he's, he's you know, mid to late 30s here and, and definitely able to pull off the physical aspect. I mean, even as far as just physical presence goes, but aside from some of his kicks that don't really ever go above knee height, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, he's not a guy I'd want to cross. That's something. 36 he was uh, during this movie, so uh, there you go. Uh, but I, it's kind of interesting because I guess we didn't really talk a lot about it with Connery and Zardoz, but, you know, he was done as Bond by then. Like, that was yeah. it. He was done. Um, whereas this, like, this very much could have still been Lazenby as Bond. We all know the story. We all know that he turned down this massive picture deal and very much should have been Bond into the 70s. And this, of course, was the same year as Man with the Golden Gun. Am I not going to say, am I getting that correct? Um, well, this is 75, so this would have been just after Man, between Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. Right. So, you know, do you kind of maybe think, can you picture Lazenby as Bond still, Man with Golden Gun, bit of kung fu kind of in that movie as well so i'm sure he would have put a little bit more effort into that role a bit more of a budget and probably had a little bit more behind him to be able to help with that role but i don't know if i was kind of thinking that a lot throughout this movie going like well hey he still could have been bond and this is probably really the only one of these films that we will watch with that in mind because every other one i mean roger moore that was i think the movie we're doing is before bond if i'm if i'm not mistaken whereas you know dalton in beautician and the beast i don't think there's going to be much bond elements to that one unless he's trying to bed fran drescher uh and then obviously with brosnan i mean it's a very bond-esque role i guess in november man and then with cowboys and aliens with han solo with daniel craig so i don't know like this is kind of a unique one of all these six movies that we're covering in this little stretch yeah, I, th- I think it is interesting because we know that, you know, he still would have been in the middle of his contract. He had what, like a, a five or six movie deal, uh, yeah. maybe even been larger than that. And it, it, they had offered him. It wasn't like a lot of people believe that Lazenby was fired after Honor Majesty's Secret Service. He wasn't. The movie was still a big success. It just wasn't as successful as the one prior to that. And they offered him it, Diamonds Are Forever. You know, he ch- chose to turn it down. So you could figure that he had done diamonds are forever. He had done live and let die. He had done man with a golden gun. 
this would have been in the middle of his run as Bond. And uh, you could still physically see he, he's definitely aging at a Sean Connery rate here. Uh, it's something about the hard living of the 70s where I'm like, yeah. oh, he must have been in his 40s here. But no, he was still 36, younger than I yeah. am now. But uh, Definitely, definitely great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, physically, he... You know, still young enough to be Bond. Certainly looked younger than Connery did. You know, maybe even in on You Only Live Twice. And this could have been a movie he made in between, you know, his Bond movies. Although we know, <laughs> chances are he probably wouldn't have done The Man from Hong Kong if he was pulling in James Bond dollars. Well, tell me a bit about Jimmy Wang Yu. Because you said you're familiar with him in something else later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I feel like I need to ask you this now because I might forget. You probably won't, but this is me. So Jimmy Wang Yu, <laughs> what, what are you familiar with him from? So um, when I sort of run out of martial arts movies uh, or Hong Kong crime films to watch, I'll watch documentaries just on the history of it. And a couple of years ago, I saw a documentary that um, ran through like the history of martial arts films and – there was I guess there would have been several mentions because I realize now looking at it, there's another movie of his he made that I'm, I haven't seen, which was called The One-Armed Swordsman, which was like the highest grossing pre-Bruce Lee film uh, in China. And he must have been, I, I guess, at the time before Bruce Lee, which Bruce Lee really broke through around 71. Uh, he was the biggest box office draw in Hong Kong cinema. Uh, the movie I saw him in was actually called The Chinese Boxer. Uh, which I, I guess the history of that movie, again, if you if you were run through some documentaries, also a very important movie just because uh, the style of martial arts film that I guess most people would associate with is a little bit more of a fantasy style. Like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon would be an example. A lot more uh, over the top, uh, more cinematic, you know, people sort of defying gravity. And even though movies had existed like during the 60s and everything, it wasn't until – his movie, The Chinese Boxer, came out, which really just broke all these records. It, it popularized a more realistic fighting style. Prior to that, if you did realistic fighting in a movie, that was like a B movie. So The Chinese Boxer comes out and it's, you know, very gritty, very realistic, you know, fight hand-to-hand combat fighting style. I guess you could compare it to something like when The Bourne Identity came out. You know, yes, there were movies prior to The Bourne Identity that did like a gritty hand-to-hand combat thing, you know, uh, very handheld camera, uh, shaky cam. But when that movie came out, it just completely changed action movies. And that's sort of what his movie, The Chinese Boxer, had done. You know, uh, what I guess would have happened is around the time Bruce Willis, or not Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis became the biggest <laughs> Bruce star. Bruce Willis? Oh. <laughs> That was a good segue, Colin. <laughs> We're good. I don't know how you did it, but you somehow managed to go from that to Bruce Willis, the first on 007. Yeah. Good job. I remember when Bruce Willis was really big in Hong Kong films. Yeah. <laughs> Huge. Uh, when, when Bruce Lee broke through, you could you could definitely see a little bit of a decline in, you know, uh, I guess the, the popularity of Jimmy Wang Yu's films. Um, so who knows by the time this movie comes out, if, if he was still on the rise. They were definitely trying to capitalize on the Bruce Lee thing at this point. But, I mean, prior to 1971, this was as big as it got for a movie star. I have to say, too, and I think we talked a little bit about this on the Oz Network when we did Canada Australia Month, that it is, at least it is a thing in fairly modern Australian cinema, and maybe this was a first, maybe they did this in other productions that I'm unaware of, that they would often try and get a star or some sort of name from 
you know, Europe or America to come across and be, you know, try and do that star vehicle kind of thing to attach it to the movie. So, uh, I mean, we talked about Michael Shanks before for Arctic Blast. Clearly that worked. Um, (laughs) But one of the movies on my top 50 movies of all time list uh, on the beach, the TV remake they did of the the novel from the 60s kind of end of the world movie, they got Amanda Sante to come and be in it, you know, and kind of, you know, that was like a random thing that they did there. But they've, they've done it before with a lot of other uh, vehicles. I think Josh Lucas, I think that's the actor I'm thinking of, came and was in a movie called Red Dog. Um, you know, there's been other Australian productions where they'll get sort of a, a big name. Like when they did the Ned Kelly in the 2000s, they got Orlando Bloom to oh, kind yeah. of do it with Heath Ledger. Um, and plenty of other ones off the top of my head that I'm not thinking of right now. But, I, I mean, that's kind of interesting to look at that from this perspective, hearing that background, because I, I wonder if this was the first. And, again, I'm, I'm sorry that I don't have as much history in Australian cinema as maybe as I should, being the Australian on this podcast. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, getting Jimmy Wang Yu, I wonder if that was kind of one of the first times they had done this in Australia. I mean, I know it was a co-production mm. the first time it was a co-production between these two countries, but just in terms of attaching a big-name foreign actor to an Australian vehicle. Yeah, and I mean, they do that in Canadian movies too. Um, I, I think some of the biggest Canadian films are the ones where they get other actors. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the actor George C. Scott, who he won Heard the him. Oscar for the movie. Yeah, he won the Oscar for the movie Patton, and probably one of the highest grossing and most acclaimed Canadian movies of like the 80s was called Changeling. It was like a ghost story movie and they got him. And it seemed like for a long time, at least when I was growing up, you didn't get a non-Canadian actor. It was like, oh, don't be disrespectful to our Canadians by, you know, we need to put an American in there or whatever. But um, probably our most uh, acclaimed director, Adam Agoyan, who would win all the, you know, Canadian film awards. uh, He had a big breakthrough when he got Ian Holm uh, who played Bilbo in the Lord of the Rings movies? You know, he was in a ton of other things. He was in yeah, the Fifth Element. <laughs> yeah, and and the Fifth Element, which yeah. you know, still quoted to this day. Everybody remembers <laughs> quotes from the Fifth Element. Uh, but he got Ian Holm to star in this movie, The Sweet Hereafter, that he made. And suddenly, the movie, you know, not only was successful here in Canada, it was successful in the United States, and he got nominated for an Academy Award for Best Director for The Sweet Hereafter. And I think a lot of people suddenly said, well, he put a big name from outside of Canada in there and he got an Oscar nomination. So then it just became a thing like you had to do with Canadians, too. Uh, the, the other part of this, I think, would be, you know, Bruce Lee had become the biggest Hong Kong movie star really off only three movies. He made three movies in China and then he made Enter the Dragon, which was meant to be the big co-production breakthrough in the United States. And it became a big hit, but he was dead at that point. So I think they were also looking for, can we launch one of our big movie stars like we would have with Bruce Lee? Let's take a guy who's going to have name value when we release this in China. And, you know, we could make a star of him so that we could do more of these. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm guessing the movie never really caught on because Jimmy Wang, you never made another you know English language film after this. I should quickly backtrack and say there's one notable example of a big-name actor coming out to do a movie in Australia which preceded this movie by five years. Mick Jagger famously came out and filmed a movie on Ned Kelly, funnily enough, in 1970. Uh, and I don't know if that was Mick Jagger's acting debut. I don't know about the career of Mick Jagger's acting. Uh, and another really famous one, of course, uh, when Meryl Streep came out and played uh, Lindy Chamberlain, the Dingo Ate My Baby movie, basically, A Cry yeah. in the Dark uh, in the 80s as well. And from from what I've seen of it, she does a very uh, respectable Australian accent, does Meryl Streep. So that woman can do anything. She needs to be a Bond woman. Come on. I want Meryl hey, Streep you know. as a Bond girl in Bond 26. 
Also impressive was Sam Neill's Australian accent. Don't know if anybody picked up on that during well, the movie as well. <laughs> you know, he has a little bit of help being that he is he from, practice. from the Dutch. He just uh, yeah. learns to pronounce a few things. Uh, oh, what was that? Oh, sorry. What was that ding sound? I don't know what that ding sound was either, Pierce. I don't Whoa. know if you heard that, Colin. Just uh, he's, I think I, that might have been my phone or Ben's phone that went off oh. there. Sorry, Pierce. I apologize. We'll put on silence for you, Pierce. We apologize. I'm so glad that Pierce just joins us on these episodes and just doesn't want to talk, though. Like, it's, it's, he's very, he's like that, Pierce Brosnan. He doesn't want to be interviewed, but he'll just sit there and listen to our uh, episodes. So, I mean, compared to Noah, who doesn't join us and also doesn't talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he can't get a date. So, um,. <laughs> Shall we get into this movie? Uh, it's taken like 20-odd minutes to get into this bit and I feel like it might take that amount of time right now to uh, to go through this because, look, again, there's there's not a whole lot to this movie. It's kind of fight scene, line of dialogue, fight scene, line of dialogue, <laughs> fight scene, line of dialogue. And we start off uh, straight away in the centre of Australia at the beloved icon that is... Ayers Rock, now, of course, referred to as Uluru. I'm sure you are familiar with Ayers Rock, Colin. Uh, by name, no, but when I was looking at it, it felt like something that I was familiar with or had seen before somewhere. It's basically, I think, the largest rock in the world or something like that. And, I mean, it's basically Australia's, I'd say, biggest tourist attraction. Uh, mm-hmm. It's literally in the middle of the country. Uh, I will say I have never been uh, <laughs> to basically Australia's number one tourist attraction. Uh, very sacred site now. It's very much a, a sacred monument uh, to the Aboriginal people. And within the last, I want to say, 12 months, might have even been six months at the time of recording this, they've actually now completely banned climbing up it. It used to be a you know, a voluntary thing. Like we do, we wish you wouldn't climb up it, but if you really have to, you can. Um, and now they've basically gone, no, this is offensive to Aboriginals, do not climb it. So that's essentially what it is now. But not in this movie. You've got a guy with a case and another guy on a tour bus with a case. They do the most obvious drop-off in human history. Um, this guy, the uh, the guy who's already waiting there, kind of looks like a rat. I don't know if you kind of... <laughs> What does Very it say on the what, what does it say on the bag? Conair. I'm waiting for Nicholas Cage to yeah. pop out here. Yeah. <laughs> Put the bunny in the box. <laughs> Where is Nicholas Cage in 1975? Um, and we have the tour bus operator played by esteemed Australian actor Bill Hunter, who is uh, I don't know how far into his career he was here at this point, but uh, he went on to be a fairly well known actor in Australia. But he is, uh, I guess, working for the I don't know, what are they, DEA, Australian version? Yeah, they're doing some sort of drug drop-off here. And he catches them. This leads into the first of 712 action scenes in this movie. (laughs) We have a guy from Hong Kong running up uh, Uluru, being chased by Bill Hunter. Then we have helicopter chasing Rat Guy, and somehow Rat Guy crashes and blows up. Now, I tried to rewind this scene. <laughs> He's driving on a straight road and he somehow veers to the left up a sand mound, just rolls over slightly, and then boom, the car blows mm. up. It is actually one thing I'll say about this movie. I sort of felt a bit mean when I said, oh, it's like Kill Field shot that way. 
Visually, this movie's pretty good. I think yeah. the way it's put together and like the shots that you see in this movie, the cinematography, I will give it high praise for a 1975 film. Uh, and like, I love this shot where you've got the car sort of on fire while you see Uluru just in the background. It's kind of it's a nice shot. Meanwhile, Bill Hunter and Hong Kong guy are having a punch up on the rock, and somehow he gets him down the mountain and we find out he's like, I'm with the DA, mate. Like, if you ever want to watch a movie with over-the-top Australian expressions, <laughs> I swear the word <laughs> mate is used 812 times in this opening scene. Um, mm-hmm. I love the open shirt with, like, the beaded necklace thing happening around. Very 70s, very cool looking. Um, but this guy won't talk. He only speaks in uh, either Mandarin or Cantonese. I don't know which language they spoke in Hong Kong. A Chinese language to which we don't have subtitles. And why is the Chinese language overdubbed as well? I don't know if you noticed that. Like, I yeah, feel like that was so weird. Yeah, I feel that's the one part you don't overdub. But yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, and one thing I'll quickly say too, there's, is there a plot to this movie? <laughs> I try to uh. working it out, but... Help me out here, Colin. What's the plot of this movie? Okay, I feel like there is a plot, but it literally just becomes the man from Hong Kong just wants to kill everybody he meets, so they just completely disregard the plot because they're laundering drugs or drug money or something like that, and this guy, they need him to talk so they can pin it on George Lazenby's character. They know Lazenby's behind this. They just need a witness to pin it on him. He dies, and the man from Hong Kong should go home. Uh, but he doesn't, and he decides he wants to just kill George Lazenby, which <laughs> completely disregards the entire plot, but that's going to be really fun when we get to the end to see how many plot holes there are in the attempted plot that they try to keep up with here. I believe the plot exists for the first 20 minutes of this movie, and then they contradict their own plot. Uh, yeah, and the thing is, too, like, I don't even know if we ever fully understand why George Lazenby is evil. They're just kind of like, oh, everyone knows him. Yeah. Okay, what did he do? It's like, oh, he's just evil. Okay, mm-hmm. sure. Um, like that's all I got from this movie was that for some reason Lazenby's evil, and we've got to get him. basically he's evil because he turned down James Bond. That is why yeah. George Lazenby is evil. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know he's got a mustache, and mustache <laughs> will make you evil. I mean, in the seventies, I guess everybody had them, but he's got a particularly evil mustache. It's got that 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 evilness. To its hairiness, <laughs> yeah. if that makes sense. That is a good way of looking at it. I like that. <laughs> that that definitely works. Um, let's go to Hong Kong now and uh, let's hear the best part of this movie to me, uh, Sky High by Jigsaw. Now, have you heard of this song before? Never. Uh, really? But it's very James Bond-like. Ah. See, there was a, a cover version of this in the 90s, I believe, like a sort of a 90s dance version of this song, which I used to absolutely love. And it's, it's very similar to this. Uh, obviously, it's a cover, so the song's the same, but it's just it's a newer version. But, yeah, as soon as this started playing, I'm like, I know this song. I know this song. And I started singing along to it. And I'm like, oh, this song's great. So, yeah, no, that to me is the best part of the movie. We're in Hong Kong. We've got, like, military training going on. We've got somebody on a hang glider, which everyone refers to as a kite in this movie. Do do the 70s not know what a hang glider and a kite, the differences are between them? Or is this a translation thing? It's got to be translation. Right? I thought that's a hang glider. I've never heard it referred to as a kite before. Well, it, a kite is just something that... At least here, 
<laughs> it's literally something you hold on a string and it flies in the sky on its own. So literally, Inspector, when we hear you're a kite, Mr. Bond, dancing in the hurricane, th- this is what he means. This is what <laughs> Mr. White means. He's actually referring to a hang glider, clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now it makes sense. Now, like Bond flying a kite seems a bit lame, but now Bond <laughs> on a hang glider, a little bit cooler. I understand. In a hurricane, yeah. Yeah, I mean, bloody hell. But, I mean, we've got this person flying over Hong Kong, lands in this military-grade police school thing, to which everyone's just like, oh, yeah, how you doing? To which our man from Hong Kong lead guy is basically like, you're in trouble. You can't land here. But I'm a journalist from Sydney doing a story (laughs) on kite flying. Oh, that's all right. I will escort you off the base. Where are you staying? At the Hong Kong Hotel. (laughs) (laughs) The most generic name that you can get. They probably have, like, this version in um, Chinese saying, like, you know, the grand such-and-such hotel of Jones Street. Yet for the Australian translation, the Hong Kong Hotel. That's like if you land in Canada, in the man from Canada. It's like, at the Canada Hotel, of course. The man from Canada. Now, there's a movie I want to see. <laughs> Ooh, eh, you can't land here, sir, but it's okay. Come and have a glass of coffee. We'll be friends. <laughs> Stop kicking Is you out at all. Is that an Australia Hotel? <laughs> Probably. We only, we've only got one. <laughs> Where are you staying? Oh, the Australia Hotel, of course. <laughs> there you are. Um, but yeah, they have a bit of a back and forth here. What's his? What's this woman called? Um, Carolyn. Um, Carolyn. For some reason, I'm thinking Cheryl. I'm thinking the most Australian name of all. And like, I got so confused in this movie. I will admit, there were definitely moments I zoned out on because there's like 20 minute sequences of a car chase and punch ups that don't really change. But later on, when our man from Hong Kong is with a woman who gets killed, who we see her boobs. That's how I remember her. Um, I thought this was the same woman, but it's not. <laughs> it's a different woman. <laughs> wow. There's only two women in this movie. Uh, so basically, he's going to escort her to the Hong Kong hotel, to which they pull over. Five minutes early, he's basically going off at her. And now look at the view. Oh, I can show you the sights. And next minute, they're having sex. So... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, is the man from Wait, Hong Kong meant to? Bond? Well, I mean, this is like this is very Bondy in this movie. I think it's kind of just like, hey, let's have sex. Did you notice the the camera work in this movie? Like, as beautiful as it is, it's almost like they've got like a fish lens. They're kind of like on the yeah. I don't know. Like is it- that a certain style? Is that the type of cameras they use in the seventies? I don't know if that's a version we've got. It, it kind of was a bit off putting sometimes. Yeah, it was almost like they put a magnifying glass in front of it because they're like, I want a bigger picture here. I'm I'm sorry, that's not the way it works. But, yeah, it, like, distorts. Do you know what it's similar to? Um, There's, I guess, a process of filmmaking called Cinerama where uh, this is the early days of widescreen where they would literally take three cameras. So you'd have your middle camera, your side cameras or whatever so that they could create kind of a wraparound screen. But if you actually watch movies that were filmed in Cinerama now, there's almost like a bit of a – divide and there's this this weird you know out of focus effect in the middle of it it's, it's quite unusual but yeah it, it it definitely stood out here also them having sex basically involves lots of licking and lots of tongue <laughs> work like i get it you're in the moment but my god these two like using their tongue colin when two people are in love they can use their tongue during <laughs> making out there's a new thing you might want to experiment with your wife uh, and Noah, if you're listening that's called kissing <laughs> People do it on dates. 
Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so he's now on a plane to Australia. I should have mentioned that our other man from Hong Kong in Uluru won't talk and there's only one man that we can get who can help out. It's a guy from Hong Kong. <laughs> Suddenly enough, <laughs> this movie is called The Man from Hong Kong. So <laughs> it's it's going to work that way. Um, he flies to Sydney. He meets the most Australian cops ever, including a guy with a mullet and wearing a sheriff's badge <laughs> on his shirt. Now, we don't have sheriffs in Australia, so I don't know what's going on there. Um, and, yeah, they're just having mate, mate, Australia, mate, 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 and then they meet him at the thing. Oh, how you going, mate? Yeah, no, this is how we do things here in Australia. You can come and meet our guy. To which we've got this really awkwardly weird prison sequence where they let him in the room. They're basically saying, this is Australia. You can't do water torching and that, you know. And what does he say? Like, but I am from Hong Kong. He is from Hong Kong. We can basically do what we want. (laughs) Yeah. That's his logic for this entire movie. Every time somebody says, you're really stepping out of line there, mate. And it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm from China. They're from China. It's okay. <laughs> Decent Australian accent there, Colin. You've been practicing. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it didn't sound like Schwarzenegger for a change. <laughs> no, I know, right? Just think of, um, you know, Chaz Walzer and you'll be right. Um, yeah, yeah. Also, I do like that line uh, earlier on when... Cheryl, let's just call her Cheryl. I'm going to go back there eventually. It's like, <laughs> you're my first Chinese. And then they're like going on about a man's got to do what a man's got to do. My dad used to say that line all the time. So I don't know. Maybe, it was, it, a, from this. maybe it was a mad man from Hong Kong fan and he never told me yeah. about it. Um, meanwhile, the two Aussie cops do the most Australian thing ever. They let a guy alone in a room to interrogate him while they go to the pub. Uh, <laughs> That's how police work happens in Australia. <laughs> yeah, mate, we got this guy from Hong Kong. He's going to interrogate this guy. What do you want to do? Let's go to the pub. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Your shout. All right. Um, <laughs> it's like this weird intersection of them playing pool to which these two guys from Hong Kong are just punching the shit out of each other in <laughs> scene number three, 112 of 870 different fight sequences in this movie. And like Again, I feel like I'm talking down the movie for that. Like they're, they're, They are entertaining. They're... They're choreographed well. Um, they're they're fun to watch, but it's just it does get to a point in this movie where there's a few too many. I think um, this all leads to. I love it when the prison guards come in and they're all like, "No, no, stop this!" and they start like bashing the cop. They don't go yeah. after the prisoner. And meanwhile, <laughs> our cop man from Hong Kong is bashing the other guy from Hong Kong with a stool, <laughs> and then he starts flushing his head down the toilet. <laughs> Oh, it's hilarious. To which he gives the name after all of this, after this elongated fight, the lane we the name we get is Wilton. Hmm. Who will this be? Colin, this won't happen to be George Lazenby, will it? No. It sounds like somebody who would have an evil mustache. And everyone who knows Australia knows how quickly our judicial judicial system works in the country. <laughs> Because from the day you're arrested, you're already in court that afternoon to a Supreme Court hearing. That's how quickly law works in Australia. <laughs> you're welcome, world. Come to Australia. You get mur- It's like Back to the Future 2 when uh, What's-His-Face is convicted on the day of destroying the clock tower, right? That's how it works in <laughs> Australia. It has for many, many years. Um, they pull up to the courthouse. There's a sniper on the roof. Our bad man from Hong Kong gets killed. Can I just say no one gives a shit in Sydney, basically, that some guy's been shot. Oh, it's hilarious. Um, our cop man from Hong Kong 
is an Olympic athlete, I feel. He jumps over a two-metre-high fence <laughs> in one foul swoop. Get this guy in a superhero movie. Um, and he manages to chase down our sniper who, for whatever reason, decides to go from the roof and run into the street into clear view. Could he not just hide in the building? Very big building. It's a big building. He would have gotten away with it. Um, We get an epic foot chase, which uh, the one thing I do love about this movie is that every single action or chase scene that just deliberately is things that are put in people's way to get pushed over or broken. So in this Mm -hmm. chase scene we have man with oranges. Man with extra oranges, man painting on ladder who survives the first fall before falling down again. Then we have literally everybody in the Chinese restaurant and every table and every piece of plate and crockery and everything just getting destroyed. (laughs) And I also love the constant nut shots of this bad guy. And also he's... His pants are ripped this entire sequence and you just see his yellow undies in the back of his <laughs> pants. And all it, it all ends. And this fight sequence goes for a good 10 minutes, I want to say, uh, probably even longer. And I love how this guy basically dies by jumping himself into a fish tank. <laughs> he doesn't get pushed. Like, watch the seat. He's like, <laughs> into the fish tank itself. And he ends up dying. And then to which we get... Cop man from Hong Kong, after noticing a tattoo on the wrist, that's an important plot point, walking in the corridors of Police HQ, basically going back to what you were saying before. In China, this is how we do it. It's okay. I can get away with it. Like, I have jurisdiction here in Australia, clearly. (laughs) Uh, And he's questioning, uh, you know, who who is Wilton? Oh, we won't tell you who he is, but maybe we will take you to him. And I'm just going to cap it here at our first meeting of George Lazenby, 35 minutes into this movie, basically a third of the way, nearly halfway through this movie until we meet the man we're talking about this movie for the sole reason we are, who is in a room learning, teaching martial arts, and he basically takes on about five different people, kicks their ass. Uh, There's some weird slow-mo going on, and we are going to get taken to his office for the man from Hong Kong, to meet him, or at least we think he's going to meet him. There we go. I've covered basically the first half of this movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie. There is some bad stuff in this movie, but <laughs> it's, it kind of has that it's so bad it's good quality. But for the most part, it is really good. Like the the opening chase sequence, like I, maybe it is just the location. Like it's a fantastic location. Uh, I don't know. It's probably been featured in other movies before because I feel like I had seen this before. Um, I mean, look. Of the Australian movies that I can think of right now, I can't think of it. But, I mean, for us, it's such an iconic place that we probably wouldn't feature it in our own movies. But, um, mm. you know, for, for international movies, like I'm sure Kangaroo Jack went to yeah. Uluru, <laughs> probably. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that that would be like a Canadian movie. Oh, let's go to Niagara Falls. Like, you know where it is. You know what it is. Whereas an Australian movie yeah. filming in Canada, we're probably going to go to Niagara Falls. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's a great location. Like, I love watching them climb. And there are some of those, you know, big wide shots when they have these, these you know, action scenes that do look spectacular, not just the cinematography. I mean, just everything, just the, the performers, being able to see these guys up close, too. Uh, I noticed the same thing you did. They're they're dubbing this this henchman or whatever, even though he is not speaking in English. So maybe he spoke in 
German? Uh, maybe <laughs> Swedish? I don't know. <laughs> maybe something like Japanese, and, like a different Asian language or something like that. It's possible, yeah. And it just it wouldn't have worked for either country they were going to release this in. Uh, but it is kind of weird. Uh, I, the Australian money, is that what your Australian money still looks like? Because uh, to me anymore, it looks like fake money. But Well, that, that legitimately is what it used to look like. I was young mm. enough. Uh, I mean, they did change it in the 90s and they've just changed it again to kind of update it. But um, I do remember that still being money when I was very young before they changed it in the 90s. So, yeah, legitimate $20 yeah. bills. That's what our money looked like at one point. Yeah, like I, I know that most Americans look at Canadian money and they're like, well, your money's so original, it's so cool, but it looks like Monopoly money, which it could be because it's kind of plastic money and it's not paper mm. or whatever. Ours is very similar uh, to yours, coloured and and plastic. Yeah. yeah. And well, I think that's the other thing is the color, because we've always had different colors for our bills. Um, but I've never really experienced looking at another, you know, country's currency and thinking to myself, is that real or is that fake money? It's actually <laughs> to me, just, I was, was going to say really quickly to interrupt because I, I don't know if I'll get a chance to mention this again. I, I used to have a Canadian friend, actually, and she. Um, I mean, long story short, she actually had a heart transplant and she kind of got a make a wish deal thing as part of, you know, because she was pretty sick for a while and her dream was to go to Australia. So she got to go to Australia and she, I remember her commenting to me that she was obsessed with our money, that she was like, wow, your money is like the greatest money I have ever seen. And she's like, take a picture of your money, take a picture of your money. And I remember when I went to Canada, I'm like, well, it's not that different to our money. Like you've got colors, (laughs) like it's kind of, it's plastic feeling. You've got Braille on your money and your money smells like maple syrup. That's a true thing. Like, (laughs) like, like, I don't know if you think that's a myth. Like it does. Like if you smell it, it does smell like maple syrup. So I think ours is just a bit brighter. Like I think they use more vivid and brighter colors on ours, whereas yours is a bit duller in color, but your money's still great. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it must just be an American thing too because, like, Americans oh, yeah. have the plainest looking money ever. And you never can and tell. It's a dollar and a hundred dollars exactly the same. I hate tipping in America because, oh, shit, I gave him a hundred, not <laughs> <Yeah>. three ones. <laughs> like, whoa, he's very generous. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, was that um, a thousand dollar bill? Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's a $10,000 bill. <laughs> they just start messing with you. <laughs> Um, also the, the over the top punching effects, which throughout this entire movie, again, that's just something you, you see in this style of film, uh, where everything sounds like a slap across the face. Even when you're kneeing somebody in the gut, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very like the Foley effects of Yeah. That to me is also yeah. a kill feel thing that reminded me of that because I think when I was making that, like you didn't have YouTube, you didn't really have heavy access to sound effects. So you had to get mm-hmm. what you could find online. I think I even found a sound effect CD at my local library and they were just the most over the top, like punching, yeah. kicking, gunshot <laughs> effects. So that's what it reminded me a lot of kill feel here where it was just, it's really bad dubbing of the sound effects. And sometimes the sound effects come before the hit, which is really great. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is also the shot of what I think is a cameraman's arm at one point <laughs> during this opening sequence. A uh, little bit of casual racism as oh, the guy yeah. speaking in his his native German it's tongue or whatever it Colin, is. The fact that it was only casual, <laughs> casual in the seventies. I mean, God, this is this is a level you get in the two thousand and twenties, let alone nineteen seventy five. I'm surprised there wasn't like every second word was racist. Yeah, well, it's it's the level of it too, where he says something. He goes, "Yeah, and I love you too." No speaker English, huh? 
Oh it's, gosh, we shouldn't be laughing well, at these. <laughs> something with the accent makes it okay. I don't know. I'm not saying it's that, okay that, to be that's racist. The thing. That's okay. That's why Australians get away with being racist. It's the accent. Like if we said it in an yeah. American or a Canadian, accent, oh you racist bastard. Whereas in Australia, oh, call me that all oh, you it's, like. It's your accent. It's so sweet. So charming. It's sexy. Yes. <laughs> that's how I'm still um, a podcast host all these years after the World's Apart preview episode. <laughs> Don't remind people to look it up now. It was we have the Noah. Power to- it wasn't <laughs> even me. Let them listen to it and see that I didn't say anything. It was Noah. That's why Noah's not on the show, okay? That's why Noah is not okay. We fired Noah. We were very progressive in cancel <laughs> culture. We finally took a stand against that racist bastard, <laughs> Noah Groves. So I can't get a date. We are... We are not going to title the episode that, but can you imagine Noah's reaction when that shows up in his iTunes feed? <laughs> Noah's fine because he was racist. racist. Well, getting rid of that racist Noah Gross. <laughs> uh, what are we doing to Noah's character? This is the thing. He literally doesn't listen to our shows. We know he doesn't based on recent experience. And here we are in 2020 basically saying he's a loser. He can't get a date. Now he's racist. <laughs> Noah's, Noah's literally got to, like, go for a job or something soon and he's got to happen to just be some person who listens to our show. Like, oh, no, gro- oh, no, we can't hire you, sorry. Like, why? Oh, well, you, you can't get a date and you're racist. Sorry, you can't be the you know, president we, of Korea. We also did ask if he would come on for a 10-minute segment. So if listeners are listening to him at the end of this episode. <laughs> and, well, I, I don't know if he is because, like, he literally says, yeah. I'm sure we can do something. That was like yeah, a week and, and a half ago. We heard anything back. That's no. the thing. Screw the him. Don't put him on this episode. episode. Racist? At the time we're recording this episode, we don't know if Noah is going to be on the end of this or not. If he's not, let's just assume we did record it and he said something racist and we're not standing for it, okay? Let's actually be honest. Noah has been on all of our episodes that he hasn't apparently been on. Yes. We've just had to edit around <laughs> his racist, foul rants. Like, literally. <laughs> like, on our Tomorrow Never Dies commentary last episode, you should have heard what he was saying about Michelle Yo. It was disgusting. <laughs> Colin and I had to sit down for an extra hour to re-record our bits to fit around all the racist rants he said. You, are, you should be ashamed of yourself, Noah Groves. If no one just starts receiving hate tweets after this, we won, okay? <laughs> you know this is called slander, right? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's Noah. <laughs> he won't He's care. all right. <laughs> <laughs> He's living in Korea right now. We should mention yeah. that to people. Because they, let's be honest. The, the, the only single one of us, all three of us, is having a better life than you and I are right now. So. Yeah, screw that guy. Screw that you racist know pig. He's probably getting deported tomorrow for being a racist because of what we just did. <laughs> it's all in good fun. K- Korean Korean technology, they can if they hear the word racist anywhere in the world, they automatically sync it to their computers of people living in their country and bang, he's yeah. gone. He's in, he's on. He's got a yeah. message. Guys, do you know anything about why I got deported? Korea <laughs> said I was racist. Why? <laughs> Uh, we could also put together a compilation of all of Noah's racist <laughs> rants that he's had over the years. No, I would not subject our listener to that. It's too disgusting. No. This, that's why we fired him, okay? Uh, yes. Anyways, um, <laughs> back to subtle racism in Australia <laughs> right now. Uh, weird thing, the opening credits... I didn't realize this would be so James Bond like in the movie. Like they were clearly going for, you know, the, a Chinese James Bond here. Like the the theme song, the, the opening fight scenes and, and hang gliding. I was expecting to see Jimmy Wang Yu as the one hang gliding here. 
Um, but you could have very well promoted this movie as Jimmy Wang Yu is Ian Fleming's insert <laughs> character name here in The Man from Hong Kong. Uh, they're really going all out, especially with Carolyn or Cheryl here showing up. Like, I wanted her to introduce a, my name is Carolyn Galore or something like that because like, it's so Bond girl. Uh, the, the logic of this too, not just that she hang glides into the country. This is a method of transportation apparently. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because <laughs> uh, she says where are you from sydney like you just hang glided from sydney or whatever <laughs> um and uh the, the, the way that their whole love scene <laughs> comes about where it says something about you know i'm from special branch like what's so special about special brands well let me show you <laughs> <laughs> on an all time like, I, I don't I'm not going to completely fault you, even though they look completely different. I'm not going to completely fault you for mixing these girls up because their only purpose is to have sex with them, which, by the way, your, your kiss kiss count just doubled now that you realize they're two people. But um, <laughs> I wasn't even counting. I thought we were only counting that if the Bond actor got laid. <laughs> well, see, I, I figured there'd be none in this movie. So I counted Jimmy Wang you. So we'll yeah. have a, a count of him on the end. But well, we had 18,000 uh, deaths in the last movie. I can't remember how many yeah. were in this. So I think we're going to have a similar number. <laughs> Uh, I actually have a pretty solid count. I think I actually went back for a few I forgot. Moments. I <laughs> forgot. I, I, I would have forgotten because, again, we cover f- at least four movies a month on the Oz Network. We're covering right now, technically recapping one on Double Oz 7 a month and commentaries for the others. It was when they were immediately in bed. I'm like, oh, the kiss, kiss count. This felt very James Bond like. So, you know, I caught on. But, um, yeah, when she says, you know, you're my first Chinese, he has that line. It's like, will you review me in your column? Because <laughs> she's supposed to be a reporter or something like that. Oh, typical uh, reporters uh, having sex on the job. Oh, it's a burden, but we've got to do it. a story. I know. Uh, yeah, and then I like all the, the stuff where he's questioning him once he arrives. And it's like, torture is legal as long as we are both Chinese. <laughs> um <laughs> That's like, literally that's kind of cool. If that's true, then, uh, yeah. you know, that's a pretty cool it's thing. The, it's the entire movie, though. Like every single time he's questioned in this movie about something he's doing, he's like, well, in China, we we're allowed to do this. <laughs> Meanwhile, none of this happens. I mean, that's communist China. Do you really think they're going to I'm sure they'd be torturing the foreigners, but not <laughs> another native Chinese man, but he's speaking German, so I guess he is a foreigner. <laughs> we're assuming he's speaking German here. Yes, all those uh, those Asian German speakers were very uh, much a thing in Sydney in 1975. Uh, the chase scene, I guess, with the sniper. Yeah, I, I love the logic of physics here uh, with the the triple <laughs> somersault over the. He's uh, Britney <laughs> Spears. <laughs> Seriously, like he's as good as Britney yeah. Spears with how good he can do stuff. My lord. <laughs> But um, even the the fight scene's pretty good. This isn't the best. Like I said, there's some stuff in here that's really good, and some stuff that's like, eh, it's okay. And I guess it depended on the quality of because you're 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 dealing with a lot of Australians who probably weren't used to this. I'm assuming that this guy had some fight training because he's got some good moments here. There's also kind of a weird combo in this movie of is it a martial arts movie or is it just an action movie? I mean, the biggest action scene in this movie involves no martial arts. It's stunt driving. Uh, and then one of the other things, it, it felt more like, you know, uh, oh, I'm trying to think famous stunt men things. Uh, Tom Cruise. When he climbs the wall. 
Yeah, like Tom Cruise. There you go. Like Mission Impossible. Yeah, this is almost very Mission Impossible. I guess James Bond like too. They wanted big stunts. So it, it seems to slip away from the martial arts at times. But I mean, the fight scene that they have in the restaurant, there's some good choreography there. It is just sort of like, you know, uh, let me throw this pot of boiling water on you and it lands on him and the guy doesn't respond. Yeah. Um, we could chalk this up as his first kill, though, because I think this is the only guy he kills for the majority of the movie here. Um, these people in the restaurant, there's another thing with like the, the background sound effects in this movie, where it's just a bunch of women screaming. You never hear a man <laughs> scream in the background. It's like, they are I mean, ah! that's what Australian men sound like when we scream. Oh, there you go. Okay. So this is, there you go. I was making a judgment against Australians. Oh. You all sound like women. Yeah. Assume <laughs> their genders it, based on their scream, you sexist. We get it later on at the pool party scene too, where it's just, ah! And nobody's mouths are moving. The the background extras are sort of like just watching and you just hear. Ah, ah. <laughs> it kind of gets on you after a while. Uh, I like during the, the guy on the motorcycle where he just runs uh, up and drop kicks. Up. It's yeah, a, I love that impossible move there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of sound coming before the hits. Yeah. Multiple nut shots in this movie. <laughs> uh, he grabs him by the nuts and then he kicks him in the nuts. Uh, it's just whenever you're losing in a fight. You just kick him in the balls. That's <laughs> how just, I thought. Yeah, in China, it's okay to kick a man <laughs> in the balls. <laughs> it's legal in China. <laughs> That's how they, they get away with the one child thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they they basically chop them off. They they make sure they've got yeah. nothing left after the, they've had one child. This, this nut grab followed by nut shot. That's how you ensure one child in China. Um, they ask uh, first I, if you're I, a father, we, of course. Are you a father? No. Okay. Oh, I touch the balls. Yeah, exactly. Your father? Yes. Do this guy. Ah, bang. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You've had your last one, buddy. I was only joking. Uh, I'm the, not really a father. I, I don't know if you were covering this scene as well, but when they come back and they're chastising him for, <laughs> yeah, uh, you can't kill a man. This is Australia. We don't kill people here. <laughs> Uh, when yeah, later on, say, the, uh, the the police would have had freaking cannons, essentially. So I don't know yeah. what they're talking about. <laughs> but but their logic is he was a bouncer, he was nobody, <laughs> and it's like and that's when he goes. He was a master of kung fu, but he used his art for an evil purpose. <laughs> but he fought well. <laughs> I love the, just, the logic of he was a bouncer. He was an. It's been a long known tradition in Australia to be derogative towards bouncers. Like they yeah, get treated like say, shit in Australia. He was a bouncer. He was nobody. He also took out your suspect with a rifle, <laughs> a sniper rifle. He's not nobody. <laughs> but this is where the plot is officially over because they brought him in to basically translate so they could get information from this guy before he's extradited back to China. So he's here to translate for them because you can't find a translator in Australia, of course. No. Uh, and then to bring him back to Hong Kong. The suspect is killed. They get no information from him and they say, all right, go home. And he's like, no, I'm going to catch the man responsible for this myself. But they also don't really know that Lazenby is responsible. That's what's going to become really complicated in this movie from this point on. Nobody has identified other than their suspicions that Lazenby's behind this and him getting a very coerced <laughs> confession at the end of this. Nobody proves that Lazenby has anything to do with it. And he decides he just wants to stick around and kill Lazenby and everybody else involved with him. It's it's kind of illegal, but it's in China. It would be OK, I guess. He, he really hated on a Majesty's Secret Service. That's basically like, you replaced <laughs> yes. Connery. 
that should have been a Connery movie, basically. Um, yeah, you're right. Like, there's no proof that Lazenby's connected to anything. It's just this guy's just got a vendetta against George Lazenby just because one guy dropped his name. And, like, you know, it's not exactly the most uncommon name in the world. I'm sure that there are other people called Wilton in Australia, <laughs> like Wilton. Oh, we know him. There's that drug lord. Not the drug lord. Jenny Wilton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, There's another Wilton who's going to go on committing atrocities. So what? George Lazenby has a little bit of cocaine and a little bit of guns in his vault. Didn't everybody in Australia in the 70s? It was it the was 70s the 70- thing. Exactly. It was the 70s. If you didn't, you were a loser. Like you, you were arrested <laughs> if you didn't. You have no cocaine and bombs? Get to jail. Bad person. <laughs> Everybody knows the Simpsons joke about, you know, uh, coffee, C-O-F-B-E. In the 70s, that episode would have been coffee, C-O-F-C-O-C-A-I-N-E. Doesn't anyone know anything about Australia or a land built from criminals? I mean, that's what the British did. They sent their criminals to Australia. God, what do you you think we do in our spare time? They didn't send them with food rations or anything that cocaine and guns, <laughs> that's what they get. <laughs> you only lo- stole a loaf of bread, have some cocaine and bombs, you thief. You need more yeah, to before, break the law. Before Vegemite, they used cocaine spread on everything. Yeah, you know, but still do. What do you mean before? Like it just... <laughs> ben had cocaine on his toast for breakfast. It's called Vegemite outside of Australia. Everyone knows it's called cocaine-mite in Australia. <laughs> That's what it really is. The secret is out. I've broken the cardinal rule of Australian secrets. I've told the world our little thing that we don't like to tell anyone. Um, so, yeah, they go to um, Wilton's place of business. To which I, I got confused because then we meet Willard. There's Willard and Wilton. Um, and this guy, Willard, you know in The Simpsons, now that we're on the topic, the music teacher guy, uh, not the music teacher guy, yeah. the, the, no, the psychiatrist guy who I think got killed off early on in The Simpsons. Oh, Dr. Marvin Monroe. Does this guy not look like Dr. Marvin Monroe to you? He does, yeah. No, I get it now that you said it. I, I wouldn't have picked up an on the episode, but he totally does. And apparently this guy was in Ben-Hur, this actor, Frank Thring, uh, best known for his role in Ben-Hur and King of Kings. So... Good for him. The original Chris it's Hemsworth. epics and then the man from Hong Kong. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he gets tortured by getting his hand crushed in a cigar box. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I do love the bit here, though. Actually, can we mention, this guy, so the man from Hong Kong, Jimmy Wang Yu, his name is Fang Sing Leng. Now, mm-hmm. like, I, how do I say this without sounding Noah-esque? To me, it almost sounds like... An Australian has just come up with the most stereotypical Asian name they can. And basically they've just gotten a few words together and put it together. I don't know if I was the only one who picked up on that or if this is a legit name and now I'm coming across as Noah here. I don't know. It it sounds legit to me. I mean, okay. I think I'm Noah. It's, it's the I'm cocaine racist. talking people. He's not it a racist. Is. It's the cocaine talking. The cocaine's wearing off. I need some more. Um <laughs> But I, I, I love the bit here when they're basically like, oh, no, Wilton's not in right now. You'll have to come back later. And there's like this one very muscular henchman standing at the door to which Fang Singling just punches the shit out of him. <laughs> oh, 
Because that's I do actually love that about this movie. This guy just gives no fucks. Like he's just in Australia and he just doesn't care about anything. Oh, there's a guard there protecting the door. Fuck it, I'm just going to knock him out. Uh, punches the crap out of him, walks in the office, to which Willard's all like, security, and then walks in the room and proceeds to just talk him through freaking Wilton's room and gets his fingers crushed by a cigar box. Uh, so, okay, and again, for some reason, Lazenby must be connected and because then he's on the phone going, oh, there's a cop from Hong Kong after me. Oh, well, let's lead him in and maybe an accident will happen. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> How do you even know? Like, is there only one Hong Kong cop in all of Australia that he's visiting right now? Like, what if you went to Melbourne, to Melbourne Hotel, and accidentally got <laughs> Hong Kong cop who's on his honeymoon, and you accidentally give him an accident? Like, it's pretty coincidental that there's only one cop from Hong Kong in Australia at this exact moment in time. Um, one of the weirdest bits of editing in this entire movie, though, is when you've got these two goons rocking up to our cop's door. They knock on it. He gets into a bit of a fist fight, which it automatically cuts to him doing yoga at a beach. Yeah, uh- <laughs> yeah I, I, compl- I thought this is a deleted scene. Did I blink and fell asleep yeah. for a second? Like, it just comes out of nowhere. It does. And, like, I'm just looking at it now. The two goons kind of run away. But, I mean, like, is that it? Do they not run back to Lazenby and go, oh, he kicked our ass and we ran away? Like, yeah. nothing comes from this. Like, Lazenby's expecting there to be. And is this an accident? Like, an accident is he walks outside and trips on a knife or, you know, he accidentally <laughs> electrocutes himself. <laughs> Having two goons show up to your door and bashing the shit out of you is not an accident. No. <laughs> Maybe it was in Australia <laughs> in the 70s. Like, he accidentally <laughs> tripped and fell into my fist multiple times, Your Honour. Oh, well, if that's the case, not guilty of assault. Um, I, I accidentally know. snorted all that cocaine, officer. <laughs> I accidentally pulled the trigger of that sniper rifle and his guts went everywhere, Your Honour. I was cleaning my gun and just happened to be pointing it at a guy that I was told to kill. It was an accident. Oh, not guilty. Uh, <laughs> I accidentally taped a grenade into his mouth and coerced him into signing a written confession. And you know In what? China, the punishment it would be legal. The punishment would have been a bootable offence. That's what it would have been. Dissing <laughs> yeah. the boot a is a bootable offence. <laughs> That's true. The Simpsons got that right. Like, you don't go to jail in Australia. The Prime Minister puts on a gum boot and you get kicked in the ass. That's legitimately what happens. That is 100% true. Um, 9-11 happened in Australia. They would have just had a couple of kickings in downtown Sydney. Right. Don't ever ben? fly planes into the opera house again. Ben was innocently booted by the PM because of something <laughs> Noah said once upon a time, too. <laughs> it was. Thanks, Noah. I still got the bruise <laughs> of my ass. Thanks for that. Um... <laughs> Yeah, uh, our cop's doing yoga. He sees a kite, not a hang glider, rings up (laughs) Cheryl, who's having sex again and getting licked again, this time getting licked on the knee. Um, And I love this this random guy. If if I'm to choose random guy who we appreciate in this movie, I love random guy naked in bed with Cheryl who's like, who's on the phone? Is this a one-night stand who's just being very clingy? To which he's licking her knee and biting her knee and to which Cheryl's basically like, oh, you're in Australia, are you? Oh, I'll come and meet you. Oh, oh. And then all that's of a sudden. A, that's a Cheryl thing. That's not an Australian thing. Yeah, that's, that's the Cheryl. Way, that's the way Cheryl, Cheryl has some fetishes there. I Cheryl, want you to Cheryl. bite my knee and lick me. <laughs> Oh, can you get Jamie to say that to you? Uh, you? You might be a father again. Uh, I'm not too sure. 
Um, uh, yeah, our cop man goes to the beach to which he starts looking at kite flying, sorry, hang glidering. And he, I love the way he pulls up. Like, he doesn't just pull up next to Cheryl. He's got to do full-on, like, James Bond skiddy into the car. Like, how many takes did that take? How many cars did they crash yeah. into at that point on the gravel? They need Somebody needs to dub in the... And he, like, gets out of his car. Um, and this just happens to be a plot device because Cheryl knows Lazenby and they're walking on the cliff arm in arm like they're a married couple and... Next minute we're at Lazenby's party, um, to which him and Lazenby have a bit of a standoff. Like, oh, do you know Hong? Do you know Hong Kong kung fu? I do. Let's put on a display for everyone. Okay, <laughs> and then they get into a bit of a punch up, to which Lazenby only throws like two punches before all these goons show up and start bashing into the cop. And this is where you're talking about that. Ah! Like five seconds earlier, they're literally like, oh, yes, darling, we'd love to see a display of Kung Fu. This sounds like a fun day. (laughs) To which all of a sudden, everything's getting destroyed. So it's, ah, 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 like crows, essentially. Um, This fight goes on for about an hour. Then next minute we cut awkwardly to uh, our cop basically walking the streets, going to Kung Fu Academy, which is on the 14th floor, to which he has to climb up to the place to get in there and goes inside, there's a guy in there, and then 50 other thousand kung fu people who at, like, what time is this, 2 in the morning, just happen to be there. Um, it's <laughs> it's a bit man with the golden gun, isn't it? Like, hey, send James Bond to school, and he'll have to have a fight all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, this fight goes, I swear this is a lot, this is a part of the movie where I literally zoned out on this. This is maybe where I got confused that there was another woman coming in because I swear this fight goes on forever, and they're on an elevator. Oh, I like this one. You like this one? Um, yeah. He's injured. And then we've got a guy with a very fake beard. I've written on my notes. Like there's a guy <laughs> in this fight sequence with such a fake beard. Whose car does he get into? Who is this woman? Is this just random woman who picks him up? I think that's what it's supposed to be. It's He just dives into a car and they're like, ooh, you look handsome. Let's have sex and then Take snort him to the some vet. cocaine. Yeah. Um, this is obviously, I think, where I got confused because I must have zoned out and thinking this was still Cheryl. Because then we're at Derek Pearson, veterinary surgeon, uh, <laughs> which I don't get the geography of this movie because I swear they're like gone outback all of a sudden now, and there are there is some sort of desert outback in New South Wales, but it's nowhere near close to Sydney. Because we're kind of going to get this romantic little sequence where they're in rural New South Wales, riding horses, having sex, montage style once again. Um, we see some boobs, which is great. And then all of a sudden she dies in a fiery crash um, because Lazenby knows where he is. Is that ever explained? Um, yeah. It, it, he shouldn't know who he is, let alone where he is. He finds him somehow in the middle of whoop, whoop, New South Wales. We get into this <laughs> super long car chase. Old Hong Kong cop is so devastated that his one night stand has died. Again, this is where I thought it was Cheryl because it would have made sense if it was Cheryl dying why he's so upset because, you know, not Cheryl. But no, it's some random woman who he's like crying over. I love how he like comes from the car, pulls over this guy like, help me, help me, help me, and just throws him out of the car. Yeah. (laughs) It's very like. 
Connery Dr. No just randomly punching one guy in the face. <laughs> this is actually, though, like I do like the way this car chase is shot, like the roads one. I'd mm-hmm. love to know whereabouts this actually is in Australia. It's a pretty cool sequence. Uh, but, I mean, again, this guy may as well have been Michael Schumacher, the way he catches up to these guys out of nowhere, <laughs> forces them all off the road. His car's basically shot, and then he ends up in Sydney five minutes later because, you know, everyone knows that driving to Sydney is that quick. I don't, I've never lived in the city, but it's a big fucking city. And I know that the most furthest away suburbs are a good 90-minute to two-hour drive, and that's the suburbs. They're somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and somehow he gets there in five minutes. Uh, I'm just going to go to the end of the movie here because I may as well. I'm nearly there. (laughs) (laughs) Lazenby's in his room, his office. He's basically going, oh, no, I'm going to get caught because he now knows where I am. Okay. Um, Cheryl lends the cop a hang glider, sorry, a kite. Um, he basically gets inside the building by punching a few people, essentially puts a grenade in Lazenby's mouth after a bit of a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you've got the, the goose, the cops breaking through the door with cannons because all New South Wales cops had cannons in 1975. <laughs> Colin's getting thrilled because you think Lazenby's going to burn to death. Is a good yeah. like ten minutes scene of him on fire, and he somehow survives. I do love it's like all he does is take off his jacket. Like that's a James Bond move. I'm yeah. on fire. Let me just take <laughs> off this jacket casually. <laughs> I also love the fact that when he's got the grenade in the mouth, you got George Lazenby, James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> even even Connery in Zardoz being forced to get an erection watching porn, being in a wedding dress. Okay, maybe the wedding dress. But, like, <laughs> did we ever think we are going to have a Bond actor? <laughs> uh, like, we've had two of these movies we've covered now with our Bond actors in wimpy moments. Um, <laughs> now, like, I, the thing I don't get, though, like, his hands are still free, so I know he goes kind of for the throat chop shortly and he eventually gets shoved into a safe. But, like, surely he could have just ripped the grenade out of his mouth in one foul swoop, punched the cop, and basically just saved himself. I don't know. But, yeah, he gets shoved in a safe. And I love the camera work here where they zoom in on the bombs and it's like, bomb, four-pack, bomb, five-pack. And like you just see Lazenby like... <laughs> Um, the cop escapes. I love how he just lands and this is the two Aussie cops are just there. Oh, got any more tricks up your sleeve? And then, boom, the building explodes. <laughs> oh, Lazenby is dead. So, so far in both of our movies on Bond actors, they've both died. So um, good good track record, two from two. And that's it. Then we see the building in Sydney smoking while the cops are laughing, like, ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> domestic terrorism, ah, ha, 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 ha. good times. <laughs> it would be terrorism, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, this this tall building in Sydney is on fire and they're just having a cackle about it, folks. Um, <laughs> I realise I have literally covered the entire end of that movie, but, like, in all seriousness, there was probably three scenes of dialogue trying to move this story along. Everything in this second half is an action sequence. And, mm-hmm. I mean, look, again, I sound like I'm being negative towards it. I, I love the car chase. I think, like, it's beautifully shot. A lot of the hand-to-hand stuff is great. I actually like the final fight between Lazenby and the cop. The the one that I was talking about with all the goons in that building, I feel does go on forever. Uh, I definitely mm-hmm. zoned out of that one. But, um, I mean, yeah, like, 
I'm just saying this now. I know we're not really doing our reviews and final thoughts right now, but I'm just saying this while I'm thinking about it. If this was on the Oz Network, I probably would rent this movie just as a bit of a thing. But, um, mm. yeah, fake bearded guy, that that put me <laughs> off a lot in that sequence. It's funny because I was trying to place who he reminded me of. I was thinking Alfred Hitchcock um, <laughs> for Dr. Marvin Monroe there. Uh, kind of a cross between Alfred Hitchcock, Dr. Marvin Monroe, and the Kentucky Fried Chicken Man. Um, yeah, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Colonel Sanders, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, let's appeal to our British and our American uh, viewers here. Goldfinger, uh, Kentucky. Goldfinger, yeah, there you go. Uh, Lazenby, like his his introduction is great. The one thing I will say is even though I kind of mock that his you know spin kicks don't really get above knee level – um, his punches look great in this movie and just his physical presence. I don't think we really appreciated how big he was, uh, of a guy. And maybe it is because he's in this dojo with a bunch of, you know, shorter actors. I was going to say, it, it, I'm not saying it in a racist way, but Asians, you know, typically smaller, <laughs> but he looks so big and so imposing in this movie. And I think that's one of the things I really, other than just his intensity as a villain, he looks like a villain because he looks like, you know, a mountain of a man. Uh, I would love to see him. Like if you were to stack all the bond actors against each other, just see height wise and size wise, who, how big they are. Cause I think compared to like Dalton and Craig and, you know, Connery who are maybe average sized guys. I mean, Lazenby, He's got to be like Roger Moore or Pierce Brosnan size, like a bigger guy because he looks so imposing in this movie. Um, So (laughs) Jimmy Wang, you here, uh, really bad cop. I mean, he's beaten up everybody. I'm not joking. There were a few moments in this where he was kind of choking somebody out where I'm like, if one of these characters says I can't breathe, I'm going to lose it because this is a cop who is committing police brutality. This does not look the same. We talked about that. in uh, uh, the the Oz Network, when we covered Ghost recently, and the scene where the guys in the elevator faking being sick, we're like, man, just watching this now just ruins this joke. Because seeing the police brutality here, you have a completely different mindset watching. It's a little bit different. Um, also, I don't know if you noticed Lazenby. It's not his introduction, but the the pool party scene where. He's got the woman with the apple on her uh, head yeah. and he's trying to shoot it off. Very <laughs> Skyfall like there. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to uh, um, waste of a damn good scotch. Or I just wanted to pretend to go, I win. <laughs> I win, yeah. Um, I love Cheryl with her hang gliding everywhere. I wonder, does she hang glide to, to work? Like, is that how she commutes every well, day? Well, that was Sydney oh, in 1975. <laughs> Everyone yeah, hang glided to work. I got to gotta go to the store to get some milk, okay? I'm going to take the, the kite <laughs> if it's all right. <laughs> Um, and then does this break any? I mean, he says at the beginning, like you're in violation of air, uh, airspace, aerospace laws, or what would you call that? Regulations? Yeah. Air sure. Laws. <laughs> Something like that. My aeronautic uh, laws are not quite up to scratch <laughs> recently. <laughs> but like, this has got to be against some type of rule. You know, you're just hang gliding everywhere. Does she ever crash into a power line or something like that? Like, <laughs> I would love to hang glide. I remember seeing it for the first time when I was a kid. People were just doing it off the side of a big hill here, you know, and went in the middle of the city. And I'm like, wow, that looks like the most fun thing ever. And I always wanted to do it. But uh, I mean, how long can you stay up there? Can you go from Sydney to Hong Kong on a hang glider? I don't know. Maybe it's possible. Uh, what, <laughs> I, what would I, I be would the go out on a limb and say no, but, um, you know. Like, she does it. <laughs> Hong Kong to it's Sydney, gotta, not, not that close. <laughs> I mean, is, is she up there for six days? Like, these things don't move that quick. Uh, but she takes them everywhere. Um 
yeah, the 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 pool fight scene. Uh, I actually think that Lazenby looks a lot better in the one on one fights. I think there was a thing with the the opening scene where it was the the kung fu school where he's taking on all the students and it just wasn't as believable because you have all these people up against him. But the one on one fights look a lot better with him. Um, there, there's a point where uh, the, a table gets turned over on a guy, and I just commented, "Is it more deadly point? than canoe?" It's well, like, there's this, like this 50 part tables in this movie that get turned over. <laughs> it just it just reminded me of the canoe shot in uh, uh, on a Majesty Secret Service, which yeah. as I was trying to count again because we don't have any kills from Lewis and B in this, so I counted Jimmy Wang Yu's kills, uh, which would be an unofficial <laughs> count. But I noticed how many moments in this movie people like in the the scene where he shows up at the school. And people are getting stabbed in the chest with a sword, and you still see them squirming on the ground at the end. I'm like, he's still alive. He's not dead. <laughs> um, really makes me think the canoe definitely still alive afterwards. If people want to revisit that around Manchester Secret Service, death by canoe, not a thing. Because uh, everybody lives in this movie. You do the most deadly things to them. There are only, like, I think I counted five confirmed deaths in this movie, uh, period. Because people get stabbed, they get slashed, they have their heads almost cut off, and they're living, they're breathing afterwards. They're getting up and continuing to fight. It's so weird. Uh, but I, I like his whole building climb thing he does. Like They're filming that for real. You can tell that Jimmy Wang Yu was actually doing the climbing. And it's impressive. It's almost done in one shot as he climbs up essentially a drain pipe going up to the 14th floor. It's quite impressive. Uh, I, I like the big fight scene inside because it is a typical staple of you know Hong Kong movies. It always seems to be in some type of fighting school as well where the hero has to take on all the apprentices uh the matrix definitely did this with the matrix reloaded mr smith fight uh but you know this is just, it's just a staple of this genre and it's kind of cool it's not the best fight scene in the movie but i like the the swords and uh, the blood splatter because in these movies blood splatter is so ridiculous you know uh you basically poke somebody in the chest and they're chest explodes in blood <laughs> we get a little bit of the typical hong kong blood splatter in this too um the elevator shaft fight scene you again I, I like just the use of the environments here like it is a huge section of the movie so i'm not going to fault you for uh covering so much of this because that's basically 20 minutes is breaking into the building fighting and then the elevator shaft uh the horse montage oh that song is awful <laughs> uh, did they do a dance remake of this one? Because it was just a painful song. I, I did not heard of that song before, so I, I don't know. Uh, I want to never hear it again. Like it just made me want to. Actually, made me want to throw up. I'm going to play uh, that in the and, credits and just, now that you say that when we close this episode. Oh, now we're going to do it. <laughs> should they should they dub it over? <laughs> what is it with like lazy movies and then cheesy montages? Do we need a bit of uh, Cookie Monster? We have all that time in the world. I, I was thinking that. I'm like, the, I was thinking to myself as I was watching this. I'm like, this would not be in a James Bond movie. And then I'm like, wait, it was on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Because well, it's the exact like- same scene. But even in this, like, cheesy montage, the bits that I love is, like, when she can't come out of the pipe in that weird bloody (laughs) funnel thing and then the moment where the cop guy basically pretends to shoot himself and falls down and starts doing (laughs) push-ups. It's very romantic. It's, uh... Yeah, it, it's it's odd. The swimming and horses and, you know, uh, mocking suicide. All very funny. <laughs> and does this woman um, kind of say she looks so much like, to me, Britt Eklund? Or is that just me? I don't even remember her. Like, that's the funny thing. You're saying you thought these were the same characters. To me, she just looked nothing like uh, the other girl, Cheryl. I'm forgetting her name now. Uh, but she, she has no presence in this movie, so I forgot about it. I mean, I remember when she... Took her shirt off, you know that that <laughs> is in my memory. I remember but, that scene too. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't even remember what she looked like. But yeah, Brit maybe Eklund. they were going for that. Maybe they, <laughs> it was Britt Eklund, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her career really uh, sunk after Man with Golden Gun a year previously. What is this that I wrote in my notes here? One of the few quotes of the movie, and I only watched this last night. I already forgot what it is. To understand that, you'd have to be Chinese. Would you settle for plastic surgery? Um, that was a line in the movie that I felt compelled to write down. Maybe it was racist or something. Oh, I remember it now. No, no, it just came to my mind. Um, she's saying something to him. And she stretches her eyes out, like making her like what people will mock Asians with slanted eyes or whatever. She does that, stretching her eyes out and say, to understand that, would you have to be Chinese? And he she says something or no, he says that to her to understand this, you'd have to be Chinese. And she stretches her eyes out like that and goes, would you settle for plastic surgery? Oh. The, the most racist thing in the movie. Wow. Like I've already forgotten it a day later. I, didn't, that I did not Shirley pay attention nope. to that scene. Wow. No. Yeah. Wait, so yeah, what people no was that? Was when, when, when did that up. happen? Uh, it was um, when, yeah, during the, the montage or at the end of the montage. Oh, was this like when they're at the waterfall and she's in the bikini and the boobs come out? I, I think I think it was around that scene, yeah. That's why I uh, don't remember yeah. that scene because clearly the boobs <laughs> exactly. were more memorable than her being People racist. People were speaking there? <laughs> see, see, like this is the thing. Noah watches that scene. He's cracking up laughing. Ah, That's look at her mocking you. Like, Great I movie. watch it. I'm looking at the boobs. Yep. And meanwhile, uh, Colin's also, confused. Boobs? Racism? I don't understand either. <laughs> what are they doing? Are they fighting right now? Why is her shirt off? What are those things on her chest? I've never seen those before. <laughs> Jamie tried to show them to um, me once, but I was like, oh, put your clothes back on. There's also another subtly racist line here from Lazenby when um, they cut to a shot and he's basically saying, like, "How? what do you mean you haven't caught this guy? First of all, you don't know his name. He was in town for one day. He's fled into the outback somewhere. There's no way that anybody would be able. Why are you even trying to catch him? What has he done? He's killed one of your henchmen. And for all you know, he's left the country. Uh, but the line he gives as he says, you're telling me the entire operation is stopped just because we have Asian flu buzzing around like some mosquito. I'm like, well, you, you're he, calling the man Asian flu? Like, yeah. well, another joke another, does not hold up well. Well, there was another one too. And I think he, I think it was at the party scene and he mentions he calls the cop yellow, which, okay, I guess he's saying it because oh, yeah. of, like, he's, you know, uh, jealous or, like, he's using it in that that description. Like, are, but, yeah, you have a yellow streak or something like that, yeah. Yeah, like in Back to the Future. What are you, yellow? Yeah. No one calls me yeah. yellow. Like, I get it, but, like, at the same time, I mean, in 2020, you, know you would doing. not get away with anything referring to an Asian person as yellow in any context. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, but, again, like, Let's let's be honest. This is a co-production. So and when you watch the credits again, we'll see people go watch the credits right now. You will see every single crew position has names, both in Australian and Chinese. They doubled up on everything. So there's no way that they didn't approve this. So maybe it just wasn't as offensive at the time, you know, but it's just it doesn't hold up as well in 2020. That's the thing. Asian flu, yellow streak. No, and I'm seeing actually I'm looking at the scene right now of the bit where she like, yeah, she slants her eyes. Like, how did I yeah. not? I was not paying <laughs> yeah. attention because that's that's terrible. That That is not on. And, and it's funny that I've actually paused it right now. And the facial expression on the cop is just like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> so even he's like, I'm not OK with this in 1975. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, but the car chase, my favorite part of the movie. Now, I did rewind this just so I could get a kill count officially. 
Um, which, by the way, there's three henchmen in this scene. Only two of them die because the guy on the motorcycle is clearly swimming in the water after he falls into the lake. I uh, don't know if you caught that or if you were even paying attention. Clearly, you weren't. I was uh, looking at the pretty chase- roads. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> boobs and roads. Boobs and roads. Road paving. Cars yeah. and boobs. I'm such a man. Yeah. <laughs> But um, it's a great car chase. And some of the music in this movie is not great, not just the songs, but some of the original score just doesn't fit. But the music that plays during this car chase is fantastic. Like this would hold up in a Bond movie, too. Uh, And the way they film this, again, it's different. Like there's a lot of shots almost from like strapping a camera to the, the, the front hood of a car. Uh, and you get like the real speed of this chase and just the condition these cars are in. Like they're the, I love the part where the the back door of the, the henchman's car is coming off and he just rams his car into it and the door flies. And when uh, the, the hood of Jimmy Wang Yu's car actually flips right off the top of it, uh, some of the physics um, don't really make sense because I think the guy with the motorcycle crashes into a car that is parked on the side of the cliff. He does the most exaggerated <laughs> flip over this uh, yes. after basically hitting it at about 10 kilometers an hour uh, and falls into the water. And then this car that was in park on the side of the cliff somehow falls off the cliff and explodes. <laughs> and the car explosions are great because one of the other cars here, the final one, the guy who actually catches on fire, um, it basically lands in a ditch Now, the front of the car is face down in the ditch, in the water, and the back of the car explodes in a giant burst of flames. Like the engine, maybe the engine is in the back, but the engine took no impact. For every, you know, bit that's bad, there's another nine that are good. So like 80, 90 percent of the stunts and everything in this movie are great. But you get the odd ones where you're like, that's really bad. Uh, I also really like where the windshield just shatters, like the guy punches his own windshield out and it shatters all over the place. They're driving like some great, you know, car stunts in here. Um, The guy catches on fire, which is great, but he doesn't respond because as we talked about on the Oz Network, uh, when we covered Bird Box in uh, End of the World Month, people burning, but not panicking, not as funny. And this guy just lies there almost groaning on the ground. Like it's as if he's in a dazed state as his body's engulfed in flames. Like, oh, oh, but he's definitely dead. Which is, uh, which is, um, have you noticed that his balls are on fire? Like where, where he's actually burning. <laughs> it's his, yeah. Like I'm just looking at the scene right now and basically where the fire is, or at least where they're, they've put, you know, the flammable stuff for the actor to have, it's essentially on his penis. Mm-hmm. Well, go back a little further, too, because the worst, uh, I guess, laid out stunt in this movie is where he's in the driver's seat of this car and then suddenly he's doing a triple flip outside the vehicle. <laughs> it's just, he he completely teleports himself in it. Um, also, the the part where they drive back into the city, I love that the car is smoking like really bad the entire time. He drove, you know, what, from the outback all the way to Sydney. You know, with this car that's basically on fire, uh, the tracksuit's kind of interesting because you probably, you know, have never seen Game of Death or are familiar with like Bruce Lee. Uh, before he died, he was about a third of the way through filming a movie called Game of Death that they later went back. Actually, Raymond Chow, you know, same producer of this movie, later went back and did sort of an English language version incorporating the footage they had of Bruce Lee with some bad stunt doubles and stuff like that. But he had this famous yellow tracksuit that he wore in Game of Death. That's become like the staple of Bruce Lee's wardrobe, which Uma Thurman's wardrobe in Kill Bill was modeled after it. Um, 
the thing that I find unusual is it's just it seems strange that he's wearing an almost identical blue tracksuit through most of this movie. But this is like three years prior to when Game of Death would eventually be released. But I don't know if there was sort of, you know, unknown footage. It's just it, it, maybe this just was uh, such a style in the 70s. Uh, or they were intentionally going for the game of death look. Um, we'll have to we'll have to get Jimmy Wang Yu on or George Lazenby on to confirm that for us. Um, we can't afford either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they charge. We've looked. Uh, Lazenby locks himself in with his big metal door, um, and on the outside they have the cheapest particle <laughs> board door. That the guys have to take an axe to like I could poke my finger through that door and I'm wondering this big metal door that they then have to cut through with a blowtorch. The walls are still drywall like forget about the <laughs> door punch your way through the wall. It's a wooden wall. It doesn't really make sense. But I still love like Lazenby. You know, he has his appearances earlier on where he's the toughest guy at this kung fu school. You know, he's the, the drug lord or wherever it is. He's telling them, you know, I want you to find the Asian flu and kill him or whatever racist thing he's spouting off. But here, as soon as he realizes he's coming, he just locks himself in the room with a big metal door. He's like, he's coming he for me. He has an like, army with cannons. Why is he hiding? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And he never calls his people to say, I'm locking myself in the room now. He's coming for me. He just leaves it. It's just, uh, it's unusual. But I like the cowardly, even though it makes no sense. I like the cowardly part of his character because it, it helps make the hero a little bit tougher. Uh, but I, I kind of wish we'd had this character where he's like, "Bring him on! I'll take him out if none of you guys can do it." You know, we don't really get that moment. But still, like, just the look on his face is so crazy in this movie. Like, Lazenby was either a really good actor or on a lot of cocaine, but uh, probably both. both. Let's be honest. Yeah, uh, this fight scene they have here. I like this too. Again, they, they incorporate a lot of the the props in the the room and everything. But let's get to it, okay? Um, the grenade in the mouth. <laughs> so, a what a coerced confession because he basically says, "I am taking this grenade. I am going to shove it in your mouth, and I will pull the pin unless you write a full confession confessing to everything." He doesn't even tell him what to confess to here, which is another thing. He doesn't even know what yeah, the, what the objective done? is. He hasn't done anything. <laughs> and of course, he could be an innocent man here. If you know what, Jimmy Wang, you you come to my house and you strap a grenade in my mouth and you say you write a full confession saying you are a monster drug lord and you had people killed. I'm writing that down. I don't think this holds up in court. I'm sorry. Uh, but then just the fact that he tapes this grenade in his mouth with if you look at it, it's masking tape. Like, I don't know if yeah. masking tape is a thing everywhere. It is meant to be cheap tape that is easy to rip off easy to tear because it's only meant to hold temporary things or to, to block something off this is masking tape like i'm sorry he could basically flex his jaw he could <laughs> blow his cheeks full of air and masking tape would tear and, and what's even better is when he shoves him into the vault after the pin's been pulled from the grenade lazenby sits there Pushing against the walls. Where's the release for this door? How about rip the tape off and get the <laughs> grenade out of there? <laughs> and it also, like, what grenade takes 90 seconds to explode? Isn't it like a three yeah. to six second fuse? Like, were grenades yeah. in Australia in 1975 just behind the times? It's a very long fuse. The fuse, like, dangling is just caught up in his mustache. We didn't see it. 
<laughs> but but still, I just love the just the brutality of I am going to put a grenade in your mouth and explode you in a vault. It's, it's still a spectacular end to the movie. So I mean, this is this movie cheesy? Yes. Is it mildly racist at times? Yes. <laughs> are, are the fight scenes and the stunt scenes a bit hit and miss? Yes. It does it live up to the best of Hong Kong's Hong Kong cinema? No. But. It sure is fun when you have a man stuffing a grenade in George Lazenby's <laughs> mouth, shoving it in a vault, and blowing up the top of a building and having everybody have a laugh at it afterwards. Uh, I would have loved for them to say, oh, can't really do that in Australia. It's like, well, in China, you can put grenade in anybody's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and also, they have the, 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 the cops. Their objective was to put this man away, right? Yeah. He's now been killed. There's no trial. There's still an organization there that exists where the second in command is going to take over. And they're happy about this. And not to mention the fact, why does he get the confession from him if he's going to kill him anyways? Is he going to turn this over? Here you go. A written confession. Now this will, you know, put him away for life. Uh, but you just killed the man. What is the confession there for? Uh, and what are they going to identify him with dental records? Like, <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. This was the wrong Wilton. Is this the guy you've been after the whole time? I didn't say it was Bill Wilton. I said it was Steve Wilton. All you Australians look alike. Then you can turn the racism around. But still, the cool ending to the movie. I, I love most of the action scenes in this, especially the entire, I guess, let's just say last 45 minutes of the car chase and then the, the building stuff. Great stuff. Just quickly, the song Sky High by Jigsaw went to number three in Australia when it was released. I don't know if that was off the back of it being in this movie, but it also went to number three in Canada. So Wow. Yeah. Number one in Japan. Number two in New Zealand. Ja- Japan. 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 Not just Japan. 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 <laughs> uh, and it also went to number three in the US. So this was a big hit. Um, I mean, the movie, we'll have to see if we can even find box office on it, but... Uh... The oh, soundtrack yeah, bigger office. than the movie? I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> we do all these. We don't even do that. Do we even do that on 007? Uh, no, we do. We have Peter Travers and Box Office, and I realized oh, with Zardoz, true. we didn't actually do Box Office for that. So, um, yeah. Well, we anybody see... that movie deserves to die, so we don't care yeah. about Box Office for Zardoz. <laughs> Speaking of things at the end that we do on this show that we don't do on other shows, uh, we have a bunch of segments that we need to do. So, since we're on the topic, let's play Box Office. And Peter Travers, he is a stupid idiot. But don't read his stuff. Now, I don't know if Peter Travers was alive back then, so, um, but he's a stupid idiot. We needed to hear that bit. Um, box office. Now, I've literally just Googled the words man from Hong Kong box office. Not so, going to help. Not really, is it? No. Um, it, it will literally give you a bunch of articles talking about Hong Kong box office, uh, although you can see that it made... Uh, 1.07 million in Australia and 1.09 million in Hong Kong. If you're on Wikipedia, if that's up to date. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Uh, and then it so led source equal growth in two countries. Well, its source is uh, from Australia. Australian films at the Australian box office from Film Victoria, uh, a PDF, a Screen Industry Report. And there is a lot of stuff on there. I'm not reading all this. I don't even read in general. This is too much going on there. Um, we'll, we'll just believe Wikipedia. Sure. I'm actually uh, 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 curious about something here. So 
um, what is like a big hit of the time in Australian movies? So I, I'm trying to pull up Australian box office here and I can find that a movie released in 1966 made about 2.4 million. And that was a record at the time. 1973 for uh, they're a weird mob. Uh, heard of it? And then the next that was the highest grossing Australian film as of 1966 and 1973, two years prior to this, the highest grossing Australian film was a sex comedy called Alvin purple, which grossed 4.7 million. So this around the same time period, maybe a quarter of the box office of the highest grossing of all time. I would say that qualifies as a hit, right? I would say Picnic so too. Hanging rock. Well, same year say, this came out 5.1 yeah. million. Big, big movie. Very big movie. Peter Weir, of course, did that movie hmm. later on to go on to do uh, Gallipoli and The Truman Show, of course. Um, so, so Picnic and Hanging Rock in the same year is the all-time box office champ at $5 million. Mm. Let's just say if this was today a $400, $500 million movie, I'm a man from Hong Kong, somewhere around $100 million range. <laughs> we're just making stuff up here, but yeah. we're going to say hit movie. Well, also, Peter Weir, Dead Poets Society, and one of your favorite movies, Master and Commander, of course. Master so, and Commander, um, yeah. yeah, big. He hasn't done anything in a while, Peter Weir. Uh, 2010. He did, uh, yeah, the last movie he made was, um, what was that prison escape movie? Um, the Way uh, Back? The Way Back, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, I like that movie. Which, crazy, looking at his filmography, only three movies he has done have not been nominated for an Oscar. That is, that is a good track record. Good on you, Peter. Good on you. Um, reviews. Uh, according to Wikipedia, this has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> wow! Based on six reviews, uh, an average. Re- Do you reckon if I put Kill Phil up on Rotten Tomatoes and give it a positive review, that I could say Kill Phil has a one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes? <laughs> Can we do that, <laughs> please? And your Batman movie that you did. You know, yeah. Colin, Colin in <laughs> Batman, uh, whatever it was called. Um, as Andrew L. Urban from Urban Cinephile, one of Australia's leading magazines, of course, called it um, one of Ast- the few Australian-made kung fu action movies. Is, is that a genre that I'm missing, Australian-made kung fu <laughs> there action there a second? <laughs> and is also notable for its cinematography by Russell Boyd. I would give him that. Great cinematography in this movie. Who went on to win an Oscar for his work on Master and Commander, the fast side of the world. Well, there you go, Colin. <laughs> That's why it's so good. Connection. Los Angeles Time, co- Times called it a slick, shallow, well-photographed Australian-Chinese movie, which has substituted do-it-yourself decapitation with mass demolition. <laughs> okay. And The Observer called it a witless display of non-stop mayhem. That sounds pretty Good. Um, sure. Um, all right. We've done that. I don't think we've got anything else to add. Let's now go into what are we going to do next? Rankings, baby. Rankings. Uh, I don't know why I went with that one. I usually leave that to last, but it's been a long time since we've done this. Um, this is better than Zardoz. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we do our rankings, Zardoz is going to be last. So this automatically makes it number one on both of our lists. Uh, unless you absolutely despise Beautician and the Beast. I mean, you do not like Timothy yeah. Dalton. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although, who knows? Uh, the Roger Moore one we're doing that I keep forgetting the name of, that could be pretty bad too. It's Roger Moore. He'll make up for it. Quite illuminating episode that will be. Um, oh, God, I miss impersonating Roger. Rip Roger. Bring back Roger somehow. He's dead, but 
you know. <laughs> we didn't do it. Yes, we did. Uh, that one we did do. All right, uh, moving on. Let's get to... Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Uh, now, I did nothing on this one. He had sex. Well, he, George Lazenby did nothing in Lazenby this movie. Lazenby did nothing. <laughs> so um, let's let's go with the movie in general count. Um, there were two roots, okay, weren't so, there? Yeah, Jimmy Wang Yu had two for Kiss yep. Kiss. Yep. Uh, bang Bangs. Now, I technically have five because one's an assumption. He killed the one guy, the first henchman, which was okay because they're, you know, he's from China. Um, he... <laughs> Then in the the chase with the three henchmen with Lazenby even says, I sent three of my best men after him. The one guy falls off the motorcycle is swimming in the water, so I didn't count him as dead. The other two I did. And then in the end, there is both Lazenby and the henchman who is in the room when the building blows up. Then I'm going to assume both of them died. So I have it at five for Jimmy Wang Yu. I'm going to agree with you because I didn't count anything. <laughs> <laughs> but Lazenby, not- for, for such a vicious villain, he doesn't kill anybody in this movie. Should yeah. they have had him kill somebody? Uh well, did he kill himself? Kind of by you know not by just not playing off the tape. Well, I guess he also just could have played along and just you know <laughs> gone to jail instead of fighting back. <laughs> so, uh, how many Bond James Bonds were in this movie? Uh, zero and no martinis either. So <laughs> no, but lots of cocaine. Yes. So currently, after two movies, our kills are at eighteen thousand and five. <laughs> <laughs> our intimate encounters are at five. Our martinis are at zero, and our bond, James Bonds, are at zero. Uh, all right, let's go in. <laughs> pretty sure it's going to stay at zero, by the way. Oh yes, I'm pretty sure it will too. Let's go into. It's the hole, the hole with the classic scenes. Hall of Fame. It'd be so funny if in like Beautician and the Beast, there was like a scene where Timothy Dalton's like, "I'm king." <laughs> Bond King or something like that. Uh, um, you know when we Noah said he would be on a ten to fifteen minute segment on this episode, he actually meant during those intros right there. True. Yep that that's his that's his contribution to this episode. Again, you should hear all the outtakes where he's been racist in them. You know, he's like <laughs> Hall of Bleep Bleep Fame. Uh, it's the Hall the Hall with the classic beeps. So don't beeps beep. That's mixing two segments together. But whatever. Um, Noah's a racist. Move on. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, Noah. I really am sorry if you get deported. We just miss you, Noah. Just come back on the show, Noah. Um, Hall of Fame's moments. Oh, all right. Uh, I think we have to put the car chase in there. Yeah. What about the chase at the beginning on Uluru? Um, yeah, you, well, possibly. I mean, are we just going to have all three of the action scenes in here? Well, what else is there going to be? Boobs and racism? <laughs> Well, there's the Sky High opening titles. Um, well, the song. Can we just put the song? Uh, let's put the song The song and the opening titles in there. Let's combine that with the, the, the kite. <laughs> the opening song slash opening titles. Okay. I think we have to include Lazenby and uh, Jimmy Wang Yu's fight scene in the end with the grenade. That's got to. We, we can't do this without putting Lazenby in there. Final fight with Lazenby. I'll just put that. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, that was painless, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I think. Uh, so our next episode will be our Spy Who Loved Me commentary. But after that episode, our next recap uh, will be our Roger Moore movie, 
the man who haunted himself. Oh, no, I'm haunted. <laughs> Whatever shall I do? Uh, that's what I'm expecting the whole movie. Oh, no, there I am again. Oh, stop haunting yourself, Roger. Oh, oh, Roger, please stop haunting yourself. I had not heard of this movie until this was like the only movie we could find that we could watch of his, basically. Um, I think <laughs> I think that one from the 90s with Eric McCormick in it is on YouTube. So if we get to uh, our next movies by our actors, which I'm sure we'll end up doing more, uh, I, I vote that we do that one because I want to see Roger Moore and Will from Will and Grace in a movie together. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I know nothing about this movie. I don't even know what to say. It's Roger Moore. I love this man now. Eight years ago, you would have said, oh, Ben, watch a Roger Moore movie. I would have gone, oh, fuck off. He's stupid. Now I'm going to like watching this movie, so I'm hoping it's not Zardos 2.0. Just reading 2011, Roger Moore said about this movie, it was a film I actually got to act in rather than just being all white teeth and flippant and heroic. (laughs) So Roger Moore held this movie in high regard. Uh, so that's something. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we're going to be able to do something, I, I guess, pre-James Bond here about one of the actors. I mean, really, let's be honest. Roger Moore, he, he was James Bond for so long. And unlike a lot of these other guys who had a career afterwards, he, he was old enough when James Bond ended that he didn't do a lot. And everything he did beforehand was the TV show. It was the Saints. So as far as movies, you know, it was slimmer pickings. But I'm optimistic. I, I kind of like the poster for this movie. Roger Moore looks completely crazy on it. So... Should be fun. It says it's a variation on the Jekyll and Hyde story. So Mm. um, could be fun. I am also reading here that it is considered by many as one of Roger Moore's best non-Bond films. So there you go. And, yeah, this will be the only movie we do, if I'm not mistaken, in a pre-Bond role. Cowboys and Aliens was during Craig as Bond, uh, right? I think it was between Quantum and Skyfall. I mean, you know, we could do an Idris Elba movie. And make it a pre-Bond movie, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I guess all of them right now are pre-Bond movies, aren't they? So, um, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting. You're hosting that one, which means I get to host Beautician and the Beast. Yes. Oh, uh, lucky you. <laughs> I am honestly the most excited to cover Beautician and the Beast. I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it because I know I enjoyed that movie when I was younger. And I think you've also admitted that you like Timothy Dalton outside of James Bond. Yeah. So, so I'm really hoping that that... And we get to cover Fran Drescher. I mean, God, our world is <laughs> oh, on enough episode. The commentary was basically all Fran Drescher. And here we go. <laughs> Finally, on 007, we get to cover a Fran Drescher movie. So get excited for that. But yeah, our next episode will be the Spy Who Love Me commentary. As we said, we are alternating between commentaries as well as our recaps. I said in our last episode that we will be getting our Patreon up and running. Blame me. Um, we, we might have it up and running by the time we release this. Probably not. But uh, it, it is coming, folks. I'm sure you're all dying to get rid of your hard-earned money on us. You're like, oh, come on, guys, I want to give you money. Please. I mean, we, at- we, I was going to say we should still at least tease, you know, us doing this is sort of a bit of a tease of what Patreon could include. You know, we're not just going to include, we'll include other bond related stuff too. You know, we'll do episodes, maybe some ranking stuff. It'll just be bonus episodes. We're still going to give the regular content, but we're doing this as like a twice a month thing right now and exploring some other bond movies. So if people really want to hear extra content or the other part of it is, it's just a way to support the show too, because there's expenses that go along with this. And if you enjoy listening to it, and even if you're not interested in the bonus episodes, you know, you throw us a couple of bucks a month once it's out there, uh, it'll help support the show. And then you'll get some nice commentary. These are still all going to be free though. We're going to continue to do these 
you know, man who haunted himself, petition the beast, cowboys and aliens, November man, all for free, but bit of a tease of what could be to come. Please help support my cocaine habit because a couple of dollars will help me get <laughs> cocaine. That's all I need. Colin's got kids, but as long as you support. And also we've got a lot of legal fees to pay for all of Noah's racism over the years. So yeah. <laughs> we've got a lot of law lawyers on our backs trying to get us, you know, to pay them after all these lawsuits who had to settle outside of court because <laughs> Noah's racism. So... Uh, no one's going to listen to this episode one day. And he's be like, what are you doing? Why are you calling me racist? Oh, I'm sorry, Noah. I really am sorry. Uh, yeah, stay tuned. And also one thing I will say too is stay very careful online when it comes to Bond-related social media because I'm sure this might be a little bit dated by the time we release this, but I've avoided I don't know if you've seen it, but apparently there's been a significant spoiler drop for No Time to Die on an article. I don't know if you've seen kind of the controversy around this recently. I I saw the controversy and immediately stopped looking at everything Bond-related just so I didn't spoil it. So I've been lucky, but... Yeah, apparently it's it's a pretty big spoiler that I don't want to have spoiled. So if you're out there and you're trying to spoil it for us, shut up. Yeah, exactly. I well, also sign up for our Patreon in a few weeks. Yeah, please do. Please do. Uh, uh, otherwise, we'll find out the spoiler and we'll spoil it for you. So give us money. Uh. Yeah, exactly. If you don't sign up for our <laughs> Patreon, we will go out of our way to spoil No Time to Die for you I, and make you watch Zard Oz. I can't believe Verity comes back. It's just that spoiler. <laughs> like, what the hell? Finally, it's about time. Uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Uh, we don't have an Instagram on this page, do we? But maybe we will one day. Probably not, because I do too many Instagram posts as it is, and I get told off for it. Uh, but yeah, uh, thanks for tuning in. We're having a lot of fun doing these episodes, and we like bringing you more frequent episodes. It it helps that Colin and I are in the same country right now, but it is also just a good thing because we like James Bond, and No Time to Die hasn't been released yet. Uh, my name is Ben. And I'm going to go find my first Chinese. <laughs> and my name is Colin. Or Cheryl. Uh, it doesn't matter. I can't remember. Welcome to Australia, Mr. Chan. And you're wanted in Hong Kong for robbery, drug peddling, and birth. Oh, yeah, we've been expecting you. So do yourself a favour and answer a few questions. Who sent you? Who do you work for? Sunga Yeah, and I love you too. Now, what are their names? Hey, just a bloody minute. Hong Kong story. Hong Kong Hotel. I work for a newspaper in Sydney and I'm doing a story about kite flying. I'm Inspector Fang Xingli from Hong Kong Special Branch. How do you Inspector. Inspector? That's a lot of muscle for a routine extradition, isn't it? Well, what do you expect? A bloody traffic cop! And what's so special about the special branch? Permit me to show you. You're my first Chinese. Will you review me in your column? You must be a visitor from Hong Kong. Bang, isn't it? Oh, Inspector, of course, I should have known. All your officers have to learn English, don't they? I believe you called at my office yesterday. I'm sorry I've missed you. But, as you see, I've managed to find you again. Or perhaps I've found you, Inspector. You will write a full confession and sign it. If you do not confess, then... You're a hard act to follow. What do you do if an uncle? He's a Chinese. I'm a Chinese. Don't worry. <laughs>